that's my favorite option is to choose not to play the game. And to a point, streaming is kind of like that. Like, I can't think of a more wasteful use of time than just playing video games to an audience. Like, I just... I legitimately could not come up with something stupider than the ecosystem that I've made a living in. Not only am I entertainment, I, I'm also making people happy with something that resembles like a human connection element on top, like layered on top. And so if it's just entertainment you're providing, it's like, well, they could be watching Paw Patrol. You are effectively just an alternate Paw Patrol. Like you are just the continuation of Peppa Pig, except for grownups. Hello, and welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that gets up deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. You are listening to episode 107 with Noxious, aka Professor Nox, aka Nox, aka Kasem Kalaji. Noxious is an MTG Arena streamer, content creator, he got his start with Hearthstone. You may know him from that game. And I just have to warn you, dear listener, this is going to be the most philosophical episode of Humans of Magic ever. Let's see, what did we talk about? The art of content creation, why you shouldn't do it. The art of being results-oriented versus not. Writing, personas, parenting, the meaning of life. It's just a lot of different things all over the place. I'm trying to remember how Noxious and I actually set this up. We had actually talked about effective altruism and giving to the community because I saw that he was very public with that, but it was a recent change in his style. I think he used to do it more privately as opposed to publicly. And so we kind of hit it off just talking about that initially over Twitter. And uh, one thing led to another, and this interview... This recording happened. But if you take the time to listen to it, I think you'll find that Noxious delivers a lot of interesting insights. The bottom line is, I had a ton of fun recording this episode, and I hope you do enjoy it. I would love to get your support on Humans of Magic, the project. So if you have not had the chance, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Both accounts can be found at Humans of Magic, one word. We also have a new Patreon, patreon.com slash humansofmagic. If you want to join our exclusive Discord community, you want me to help review your podcast or content, happy to do that through the Discord and the Patreon. I have switched to a weekly release format. So Humans of Magic is always going to be free. It's always going to be a labor of love, but the Patreon is going to go a long way to cover the additional intensity of the workload and i'm really happy to do weekly episodes i want to get more humans and magic content out so your support is always appreciated the phenomenal music you hear in this episode and every episode of humans and magic is supplied by Kupla. that's spelled k-u-p-l-a Kupla is an absolutely fantastic musician he's a magic player and you can find all of his music on all the streaming platforms, including Spotify and SoundCloud. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter as well, Kupla Sound, and uh, tell him Humans of Magic said hi.
I love that that ominous recording in progress Zoom thing. Like they didn't used to have that, but I think for liability, they had to had to get it in there. So yeah, probably. I think they. Uh, I think some people were complaining about it in the context of being observed by their work colleagues. Like they would just, yeah, people would just sneakily record conversations and videos. People do all kinds of crazy stuff on Zoom. Like I would just be reading these articles over the last three years about how this guy was like pleasuring himself <laughs> and and somehow the camera was on like okay i probably oh, cut this part no. out but yeah it was just oh, like no. the worst terrible. horror stories of just i don't think it's really a zoom thing it's more like a tech technological prowess sort of thing with people yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. think uh it's one of those like the the the, <laughs> the unintended dark side <laughs> Of, of tech where like it's a panopticon you're just always under observation whether you know it or not yeah speaking of unintended dark side this is why it's nice to have a conversation with you today <laughs> so noxious how are you doing i'm doing well what what, what are we tackling <laughs> unintended dark sides i i don't know What's it's just on? when i when i watch your stuff whether it used to be the streams or the youtube videos i feel like you're one of the most real content people out there it's just you kind of just say it how it is and i i think you actually said this in one of your videos like you don't really have a lane and that's kind of a good and a bad so is that is that something that you you've always been doing because i haven't known your work for the whole time you were online so to speak so is that is that how you always were like even back when you were just playing hearthstone or gwent or whatever it was yeah, so it's a very like it's, I guess it's a fairly broad question in the sense that I think every like I think no one really has lanes. Um, what they tend to do is they tend to compartmentalize their life. It's like okay, this is my work life, this is my leisure life, these are my friends, this is my family, and I just don't really have an easy time doing that. Um, which means that as a consequence, I tend to be in professional contexts overly friendly like some people will say well this is you know it's a little uncanny how i might just treat people immediately like i've known them forever which is not easy to take on for the more introverted people out there or the opposite uh which is you know if i'm not feeling it you'll know whether or not i'm in a familial context or if i'm in a you know a work environment i don't have that ability to just take the, the part of me that i'm supposed to exhibit right now and make that the thing that i'm exhibiting it tends to just come out as it is. And I think for content creation, that's probably, you know, th that lack of a lane, that lack of ability to just produce content because it's the professional side of, you know, making a living with, uh, with YouTube and Twitch, not having the discipline, right? I'll call it that, like the, the, the work ethic required to just make it happen regardless. Um, that, probably is a net negative like it can be a positive where you do variety streaming and whatnot but even so when you do variety you still have to be there and um i think one of the best things that i've ever heard when it comes to streaming was uh Kriparian, which you know I, if there's one person out there with work ethic in the streaming industry it's i i think crip probably takes the cake there like it doesn't really matter how far back i go He's always been there at the same time. If you tune in at the same time, you know he's going to be there every day. So it's just a paragon of consistency. And exactly. And this is one of those things where if I, say, take Crip as one end of the spectrum when it comes to consistency and discipline and work ethic, when it comes to streaming hours and organization, 
Like I would be somewhere like very far in the opposite direction where I just kind of did it when I felt like it. And then as it turned out, I felt like it a lot for a long time. Um, but the moment that I didn't feel like it as much, then, you know, things started, uh, I, I, you know, I, I want to say becoming less consistent. Um, that's, that's so fascinating that's because I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but it, it's it's so fascinating because, number one, you have the awareness that you are doing it. Whereas the people that never really, quote unquote, made it as a content creator, and you obviously made it. So, but the people that have not made it, they're never even aware of this in the first place. And the second thing is just that it's so counterintuitive to like, you know, because I don't have a YouTube channel, but I'm like, I'm just one of those, these weird people that likes to figure out how things are done. So I'll just watch a YouTube on how to grow my YouTube channel, even though I don't have a YouTube channel. I, I love and that. You know, it's like one of those things like the YouTube channel guy is telling you how to exactly. grow Exactly. It's channels. so, it's so <laughs> meta, right? And it, it's just like, but then this, but then the, the point I'm saying is that it runs so counterintuitive what you said to like how you're supposed to do it. The fact that you know you're not supposed to do it and you still do it. And, but, and also the fact that you made it despite knowing you're not supposed to do it. Like that, that's just a whole fascinating field for me. I, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. So the fact that I knew that I was doing content creation wrong and despite that, it still worked out. Um, yeah yeah maybe yeah. at a high level maybe it's not quite how it happened but i mean that's the that's the gist of it when it, when somebody asks me about streaming i tell them like do you have any tips i'm like don't do it just do anything else with your life <laughs> uh it's on and i say this completely unironically i think it is i mean if it works for you and it's something you deeply want to pursue then by all means go ahead i can't you know no one can stop you yeah um but that that sort of intersection between my awareness of how I wasn't cut out for it and the fact that I still managed to do it was always a bit of a surprise. And I sort of expected it to eventually go sideways. I knew that a day would come where, you know, either I am having a series of like a bad mental days followed yeah. by I don't like the game I'm playing, followed by I don't sleep enough, followed by I'm exhausted. And suddenly like the, the week off turns into two weeks off, turns into three weeks off, turns into... Uh, why do I even bother? Do I really need this? And then it turns out, you know, financially, the answer is yes, um, but mentally, not so much. And what worked for me was essentially being aware that a burnout was coming before it arrived. Like I could spot it a mile away during my content creation pipeline. And I would immediately try to shift my focus on stream if I could. And it's funny because people very often, and this is a bit tangential, but they accuse me of being a very negative person towards games and um, being always bitching about things and I'm never happy and I'm always dissatisfied. And the answer to that is, yeah, like if you catch me in that, like, tr like I want to say tail end of motivation towards a given thing, yeah, that's exactly how it's going to come out. It's going to come out like I nothing is fun. Things that might have been fun are no longer fun. And it's always a, like a little bit of a surprise to me that I managed to make those pivots, like from Hearthstone and then near the end of Hearthstone, I did this crazy thing. I can't find any more footage of it, although you might be able to find like, I don't know, one or two images of it, um, which was I put on like a whole costume, which I thought was super cool. So it was like a goggle. So unironically, you put on the costume. Yes, like at, at the point where I was, I was thinking, okay, this is driving me insane. I I hate playing Hearthstone, 
I need to do something else with the stream, right? And uh-huh. at that time, um, there was whole Dr. Disrespect character that I thought was interesting. Not really my type. Like, I can't, I didn't like it. I didn't like the character. I didn't really like the type of games that he played. Um, and I thought, I, I might watch someone that does this, but, you know, has a completely different aesthetic instead of being this, uh, you know, dude bro with guns and, you know, playing PUBG and shooters. Like, how about a, a more wacky like mad scientist type playing more you know not D, but you know crpg type games um maybe card games and whatnot then i figured well i could just do that like that could be a fun thing for me to do is that when you developed the dr knox persona yeah the professor knox character professor that's exactly knox, when that came out yeah yeah um and that was the character that came out of that idea of oh like i really like this um the problem, of course, was, well, it was one of those situations where I had, like, you know, there's, I have a child, um, I'm a one man, like, I've never had people working with me, like, I've never, I've had a, an, one editor for a while uh, on the channel that was doing, you know, a lot of the uploads for, for a time, but I've always been doing it myself, like, I don't have somebody taking care of the finances or taking care of the production or taking care of the audio or taking care of the stream of the promotion, nothing, like, reaching out for sponsors, really, like, it's just been... Um, a solo endeavor all along. And so when I took on that project of Professor Knox, one of the cool things I wanted to do, and I think I did it for well for the time that I did it, was I really wanted to do, uh, to rap during the streams. And so I'd have like a rapping intro and I'd have these random moments where I'd have random poetry that I'd have and I'd go on the, you know, little mad, something like music would play and then I would go insane and recite something or other. Uh, and it was just like a fun theatrical thing, which I, I don't have any background in. I just figured that's going to be fun for me. And I need this to stay sane because otherwise I'm quitting streaming. Um, and so I did that, but it was too much work to do on my own. Like I couldn't do the whole writing. I mean, I did, I wrote, you know, pages and pages and pages of stuff. Yeah. Uh, most of it. Because you need started. material for that, right? It's basically like doing, uh, doing stand up or something. Right. And then there's the production aspect of it. And then there's the problem that I had misgaged the worst, which was how exhausting it is to be in character um, uh-huh. for long stretches of time. Because instead of simply, because I, I, I watched Dr. Disrespect for fun after the fact to see like, why couldn't I do it? Like, why is it that I got tired and fed up and I couldn't pull it off? Um, and I really wanted it to be a cool thing that I could do on stream to make streaming fun for me. I really wanted, mm. I'm like, if I'm going to keep streaming, I'm going to have to do something that I enjoy. And this could be a nice like, intersection of interests. And what I figured out was, well, he does have these moments where he goes crazy, but he's not crazy 100% of the time, right? Yeah. Like the energy levels that he puts out um, during the stream, it's very much peaks and valleys. Whereas the character that I was playing for whatever reason, I just couldn't take a step back. It's like, I felt like I needed to keep the character going, whereas I could have yeah. just been me, or like more me in the character. People, like the, the, the suspension of disbelief maybe has to hold there, and they understand it's a person in the suit. Um, but I was just always overplaying the character, and so that means like voice change and attitude changes. It was just a lot. Uh, and the character was intense and insane, so you can imagine how much of a constant... Yeah, it is to, 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 to run because I can imagine that if if somebody created an alter ego of themselves, which is, I think, what Dr. Disrespect is, they, like you said, they figure out ways to like have births or at, at times they can give 100 percent and then they kind of like, 
I don't know, it's like a video game where you have a burst and then you you have to like, there's a recovery gauge and then they they burst again. But it's also fascinating to me because you figured out that you were overdoing it. So did you adjust your Professor Knox persona then? Because in, in theory, if you're aware of it, you could fix it or you can make it more manageable too. Yeah, so it's a combination of things. First of all was, okay, well, I, I want to keep this character going. I want to keep the whole, you know... Um, the way I describe it is like the lyrical endeavor, let's say, because I love writing uh, lyrics, you know, rap lyrics. I love writing poetry. It's just stuff that I enjoy doing, even though I never publicize or publish it. Like it just ends up being deleted on a hard drive at some point. And I just figured this could be a, a nice vehicle. So writing was a big part of it. And the problem is that just writing alone would have taken so much of my time that it didn't feel like I could keep my aspirations um, i guess the lyrical aspirations in line with what i wanted initially to make it worth pursuing as a project but as far as character goes for like adjusting the intensity down um the issue that i found is well most of the games that i play are just very low intensity uh right like if i play a card yeah. game it isn't like a shooter so it's kind of it's a mismatch difficult. yeah right it's difficult to have a like a, a character that wants to have that energy come up and not have material to have it come up, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. it's there's mm -hmm. a like a, a pacing mismatch between how the character is and who the character is and the experiences that might trigger the the snaps. Yeah. Let's say. This is really interesting to me because I don't know if you watch other turn-based streams or things like even chess, where the most the biggest chess streamers, like they also don't go crazy or don't have a doctor disrespect kind of persona they kind of have to just be themselves like kind of their snarky selves and you kind of realize yeah i think i didn't even think about it until you mentioned this like you kind of have to tailor your style to the game which is kind of a also a chicken and egg thing because you would assume that someone is gravitating to the game because of who they are therefore it's okay to kind of fit into that but it's also difficult if you're trying to keep your mental sanity in check by doing fresh things for yourself and trying to appeal to the mass audience. Like you just suddenly made me think about like, there's like a hundred considerations there. That's just, it's so complicated, right? It's complicated, but it's also one of those things where if unlike me, you are able to play that game um, for long periods of time, like you can actually stay in the business. So if you're not only following trends, but you're able to, you know, hop on stream and play up to that part of your persona, because it's, it's one of those things too, which is always, you know, it's going to depend, but a lot of, a lot of people might have a very stable, um, emotional life, let's say, right. They might just be generally stable, um, by and large. I find myself getting, so I have like, there's a confluence of issues for me when it comes to content creation. One of which is I have depressive episodes, but nothing to the point where like it would cripple streaming or content creation on its own. Um, but I also just am terribly bored, terribly quickly by mm. things mm. and not in a way where I can salvage enjoyment out of it. It's, I just, it's as soon as I feel like I've, I've explored as much of the game as I need to understand how it works, I am mm -hmm. often no longer interested in the game, which is frustrating because it means that I, let's say, let's take a, a game example that came out recently, that came out, you know, an example that is that it's 
fairly fresh in my memory, which is Slay the Spire. It's not a new game, but I started playing the game seriously, uh, I think last year, two years ago, I forget at this point. And I I'd played the game when it came out and I played it a ton, but I hadn't really taken it seriously. And so I started taking it seriously and pushed, you know, to the end of the game on the max difficulty on a given character until I finally understood and clicked. And then there were three other characters to do that with. And there are different puzzles. Like, I understand that they don't work the same, but there's a pattern to the way that you play and the decisions that you make that are somewhat repetitive. And it's the same thing that drove me away from chess when I was, like, I, I became uh, a bit older. Because I was when I was young, I used to play chess a lot. And at some point, I got bored with chess. Because even when you learn new things, uh, it's really... It's clearly variations on the same thing. Uh, and at some point, that just tires me. And it doesn't mean that I'm excellent or that I'm the best, right? Like when I say that I'm tired of the game, it doesn't mean I've reached my peak potential no. or I'm the best player. You see I the don't... road ahead. It's kind of like you, at least you see the framework where it's just, you know that you could work for another five years, but you'd only get like 3% better or know a variation of this opening move or whatever it is, right? Exactly. That That's the best way to put it. And this is a thing that's, you know, with content creation that very punishing um, because, again, that stability for content creation is the key. It is about stability, consistency. Like a good example of this, a success story in the Magic community is CGB recently, Covert Go Blue. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, talked to him yes. yet. Yes, I haven't talked to him, but I know of him and he is definitely figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like this is an example of someone who essentially looks at like looked at the grind, decided this is what I want, and instead of simply doing the thing that most people do in content creation, which is, "Hi guys, my name is Joe, and I'm here to show you the top five tips to you know whatever the hell," he just decided, "Okay, I'm not trying to produce." the best content every time, 24-7, peak novelty, ridiculous editing. Uh, this, is a, this is a system, for better or for worse, that rewards certain things. Consistency, knowing the niche you're in, understanding, for, especially for the sake of advertising and also for the sake of growth. In the case of CGB, I know that one of the things that I realized was if he offloaded enough of the work that he, that he did to other people... Um, not not all the work, right? Obviously not, because he still has to put in a lot of <laughs> a lot sure. of effort. Yeah. But what he if he just delegated to the right people, then he just got to do more. And suddenly the consistency, it's like a feedback loop. Yeah. A positive feedback loop that in 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 this instance turns out well because he gets to produce more videos more consistently. And he just can care for like whether or not the content that he's making is interesting while other mm -hmm. people take care of a lot of the overhead like even just you know making a thumbnail yeah. uploading it at the right time making sure that you've got the ads placed properly that you're it's just it's a ton of uh of it, work it and sounds like he figured out like system. how to make himself a business or a producer rather than right. an individual in the space absolutely and this is i think like the antithesis of who i am uh mm. and part of it is because as I've said before, and it always sounds a little odd, but I didn't really want to stream. Uh, I just landed in streaming by complete accident. Tell me uh, about that, because I, I'm sure many people listening to this would know, but I, I want to know the story. 
So it starts somewhere around, what is it, 2013? Um, Hearthstone is announced at PAX East. Like some ridiculous thing that, like a small event, everybody in the community at Blizzard... Hearthstone was, has most, been around already though, right? Like it was around I, before 2013. I think 2013 was when it entered beta. Oh, okay, so it was starting um, to hit critical mass. Gotcha. So I, I, I'm trying to figure out whether or not my, my initial videos, they're somewhere on the channel. I could look that up later. But when the game was announced, immediately a lot of the Blizzard fan base was upset. They were like, really? Like a card game? Uh, this looks childish. What is this? This is awful. And I, who'd been a WoW player since day one and had played Magic and grown with Magic, I just thought, whoa, are they finally bringing a card game to digital that doesn't look like it's, you know, in an Excel spreadsheet? Because all we'd really had up until that point was Magic the Gathering Online that I was interested in playing, at least, mm -hmm. um, and some other games like, you know, Spectromancer and some... Even, like, I guess you could be generous and give Hex TCG a piece of that pie. But it was very grim for, like, online card games. There was just not a whole lot. And so I was instantly excited for it and i just decided you know i got a channel that like if, who can i talk to this like to, to about this like i have no one I just made a youtube channel and a lot of people ended up forming uh you know conversation around ventrilo i can't believe that it that existed but it did uh you know we talk on forums and we basically scraped the trailer to see all like frame by frame to see all the cards and then we rebuilt hearthstone in a software that's like general for card games. Oh, we could damn. Play this is like, this is like Star Wars episode one oh, level was... of analysis when the trailer for that came out. Yeah. And know. it was fun because we played the game before the game was out. Like we played the game in simulators, like long before Hearthstone was anywhere near out. And like, if you think that Handlock was new and like Raynad made it, no, we like, we'd been playing with Handlock for eons. Like Force of Nature drew it. Like all of these things that people initially thought they was new was already around forever. Uh, oh, I say forever. It was just more underground. It wasn't as... Right. Yeah. And I just started doing YouTube videos because I wanted to talk about the cards. And, and I wanted to figure out, like, okay, but how does this work? And so I presented all the cards, the, the info that we scraped together uh, that was findable on websites and talked about some deck ideas, some possible concepts. And I just did it because I liked WoW and I liked Magic and I liked card games. Funny enough... Uh, I didn't monetize my YouTube channel for years, <laughs> like mm -hmm. when I first started. And my peak viewership videos, uh, I'm talking like 100,000 views or so. They made maybe $4. Oh my gosh, right? like, that's huge opportunities. Yeah, looking right. back on So it. what I'm saying, like when people say, you know, Knox is in it for the money or he's just, you know, I was like, mate, that's I cool. didn't monetize forever. Yeah. And the thing is that eventually it caught up with me. Uh, where like, okay, well, I could pay the bills then, but now, like, does that still function? Um, and so then I had to pay more attention and start putting ads on videos, which I never wanted to do because I just did it for fun. Mm. Uh, and that's when I started beginning to hate content creation. Like that's that moment where I had to switch my focus from what am I interested in to how do I monetize it was the moment where like a, something died in my i guess yeah my interest but i want to dig into that a little bit because the world will always tell us that you should be doing something the world will always say james this podcast could be bigger Knox, your youtube could be whatever 
I mean, you have friends, you have people in the industry. So of course you'll hear something and you might naturally just feel like I want a bigger piece of the pie. Cause that's kind of human nature and having worked with people in esports for the last five, six years, I, I know that that sentiment very well, because it's, it's sort of like the feeling that I had nothing when I was supposed to get something. So now you got to give me mine because now, now you owe me, you owe me friend because I toiled away 10 years ago. So now you owe me, but there's still got to be a part of you that's true to yourself, right? So maybe this is oversimplifying, but couldn't you just say there's a lot of noise around me and what I should do? If I really enjoy it, just let me do it. Yeah, I think this is like general life advice in some sense, right? Just sort of pursuing the things that you're interested in regardless of the... I guess the the circumstances you find yourself in, the pressures or the expectations, it's just not, unfortunately, I guess, reflective of how you carve yourself a space. Because people come in, especially if you're, like, say, you're, you're mentioning esports, um, there's a lot of mystique around esports for people that are not in the industry, much like there's a lot of mystique around showbiz for people who are not yeah, in the industry. Yeah, just if you're not in it, it's it's, it's mystical. Yeah. Oh, of course, because it's like, oh, video games for a living, right? You can play video like- games for a living? Oh my gosh. I mean, I guess my my son had it was right all along. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And I, I find that this... Um, I don't really have a better way to frame it than essentially the what what should okay what was initially play what began as play eventually becomes a game and I make a distinction between those two because you know play is sort of engaged for no particular function no goal it is done with some amount of very loose framework for you know how you should behave so if you look at kids play yeah they're following rules within the world they're working with but frankly it's very loose um and it just feels good right it's just like they play for the sake of it and sometimes you look at it as an adult and it doesn't quite make sense but they seem to be having fun anyway you Mm -hmm. can't make heads or tails of the narrative that's being woven but it doesn't matter like it's still it's still unfolding and happening because it's being done for its own sake and at some point one of the things that uh tends to happen is that we try to create more rigid rules around play. uh, And we tend to, you know, especially as adults, like we play games and games are very rigid. And, you know, the video games can be more or less open-ended. You can recreate that, that play experience that children have. That's very loose without, like, if you want to in games, it happens all the time. Elden Ring has done that for a lot of people. Yes, it has a ton of rules, but uh, at the end of the day, it is still very much engaged for its own sake. You want to do something? Go ahead. No one's going to stop you. I think it's one of the reasons why Minecraft was so big. Uh, why, it, why it boomed is because it is a play experience before it is a game with yeah. its rigid r- world rules. But the industries that stem out, that come out of games, let's say the gaming industry or esports, um, they have nothing to do with the product. Like they are as rigid in the rules that they employ as any other context, any company, show business, shipping. Like it doesn't matter what it is. It has the same structure. It's a bit more Wild West uh, because I think a lot of the people that were there on grassroots level, perhaps um, were very at ease. It was like, it was like their element. They built it. They were part of the grassroots 
folks that were there. But eventually, as they want to attract investors, as this becomes a legitimate industry, it rigidifies and then it becomes a game to play. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult to to just, I want to say, cast away the shackles of expectations if you expect to make it in the in that environment yeah and i think to be fair it builds legitimacy like if you have rigidity you have systems in place it builds i mean i'm just thinking of this in the terms of also just building a company or something like that has a structure like if you use best practices like you can't always be thinking like i can reinvent the wheel every time or i'm special then i'm more special than everybody else so i can just always do it my way like at some point there is a especially if you're playing in a uh you know we talked about the um hashtag algorithm and the YouTube and Twitter. (laughs) Like if you're playing in that sandbox, there are certain rules that are set up that have been honed by, you know, millions of billions of hours of figuring out what works, what doesn't. So I think it's also kind of a, what do you call that? Like a trap to think that you can escape it because by getting into that box in the first place, you're already signed up for what it is you have to do. Right. So, and esports is also an industry is also a box, right? So it has become one. Absolutely. I think there was a time probably like any domain where you might have had a chance to like you can imagine it uh, as nudging like the earlier in, let's say, a system's unfolding, you're able to nudge the more the bigger the ramifications. Right. All you have to imagine is something like the base of a tree. If you could decide that it's going to grow slightly left um, early on, well, you're going to have a very, very crooked tree, you know, very late. And so just having that early nudge, that ability to early to, to nudge early makes a big difference. And I think a lot of the people who viewed esports as this fertile ground really were there at the beginning. Um, because as I've seen it unfold, I haven't really felt like it was any different than other industries. Um, even even though, you know, I, there's there was maybe more of a space for up and coming names. But it was never, you know, the the mystical thing that a lot of people now think that it is. So, yeah, I think the legitimacy argument is solid. And it's one of those unfortunate realities where the it sort of ties into conformity, probably to a point, although I haven't given it too much thought. Uh, but it's something like a positive feedback loop that isn't refrained, um, like how do you reverse course? Like you can swim against the current for a time. Eventually you just drown. Like it's, there's just too much flurry and activity and energy being spent going in a given direction for you to really stop. Yeah. uh, To stop it on your own. I feel that a lot as uh, someone who is now a mediocre, moderately successful content person. Cause I, I didn't do the poetry thing, but I, I always love to write and I would just be writing like, you know, when Tumblr was around, I guess it still was around. Shout out to Tumblr. Like I was writing stuff on there. <laughs> I have, I still have a WordPress uh, blog site. I, I journal, which is more personal, right? I think writing is a big part of who I am. I wrote two books that no, not a lot of people read. It was just kind of like a vanity project, whatever. And I've just recently started to like turn myself around because I always had this sort of attitude like i just wrote something it was good enough but no it's not good enough it's like so now i'm just trying to figure out how do i write so that it can hook or capture people's imaginations a little bit better because at the end of the day like i could write the best thing in the world to me but if like two people read it 
it, it, it hasn't really worked. It hasn't really worked. And I'm not going to wait till I'm dead and someone finds it. And, and now it's like a million dollar manuscript. Just, you know, that's, that's a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, like that's just not going to work. And I think you have to be results oriented and not just be so married to the way you're going to do it. So it's like, I think the other thing that really changed me recently was just watching um, a Devin Nash video. Um, I'm not sure if you know Devin Nash, but he's like uh, a streamer, YouTuber guy who's very much about like, how do I bake it uh, as a streamer, YouTuber, which is kind of yeah, meta, I right? That. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a whole, it's like the, the books that tell you how to, to become rich. Yeah, how to uh, become rich, write a book <laughs> on how to become book. rich. Yeah, it's recursive. Um, but I think he made a really good point about how like, People get so caught up in these ideals about what you're supposed to do. And it's like, oh, you know, you're not supposed to market it this way because it's not genuine. Or you're not supposed to use clickbaity titles because, or make a YouTube video that says the five things, whatever, in all caps, because that's just sort of like, that's not, to use a 90s term, that's selling out. That's like not true to your artistic self. But no, I mean, he was basically saying you should be, you should be tied to the outcomes, not the techniques, right? And so I'm trying to figure that stuff for myself too. But it's kind of funny saying this to you because I do feel like you have certain things that you're not willing to cross as a content person, right? Am I am I correct in assessing that? I feel I guess, like I think it's to what degrees, really? So. Yeah, I was going to say precisely, right? It's always a matter of degrees. Like an example of a moment that I still remember as something of a turning point psychologically towards my content was. When someone suggested, uh, you know, all caps titles or what have you uh, with certain words that would do better and faces on thumbnails, right? So, like, I ended up doing a big shoot of, like, a thousand faces or something stupid just so that uh-huh. the editor that just was the, at the uh, time... like, yeah. mouth open, agape kind of... <laughs> right, like, you get the point. So, it was just done. So, I, I, I did it one time and then sometimes we needed a new one and I would just make a stupid face... Like that, that part of content creation drove me nuts because it's just, it, I, essentially at that point, there's someone twisting my arm, right? It doesn't, it no longer, and I know that the, the, the process, uh, you know, sort of the, as you said, right, the outcomes matter more than the, the way you get there. I, that, I think that's 100% accurate if you're something like a disembodied AI, I really believe that. Uh, I really think that that's true. If and the problem is that, and I say this unironically, our economy is structured to effectively assume that we are, and this is not entirely the, the whole basis of it, but it assumes something like the agents here are entirely rational. And it doesn't really matter what's ongoing in anyone's life at a given moment. Like you are an agent in a system. And you're nothing more than a data point. And I think really focusing on the outcomes really does narrow you back down to the level of a statistic, which while it's accurate on the sociological level, when you analyze trends, broad trends, you can you can spot motifs, let's say, in, in human behavior across time and even history, um, that doesn't necessarily... That's not sufficient, I think, for someone to be satisfied to do something saying, Oh, this leads to the best outcome. Ergo, I'm going to care most. It's like, well, yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole branch of philosophy that argue about whether consequences are the goal, or if we're really talking like the ethics of consequentialism, like there's so rich and deep. If you really want to unpack it, um, 
Whereas you've got people that might care a bit more about the quote unquote intangible human element that's mm -hmm. uh, that's part of it. By the way, did you study uh, philosophy, political science? Because you come across as very articulate in a lot of the things, or are you just very well read? Like, I, what did you study some of that in undergrad or in school, or were you just always interested in it, or a combination? I am absolutely useless uh, academically in the sense that I I went to school. Um, you know, I finished my high school against, essentially against my own will. Like I just gave back blank pages, but they sort of refused to sink me because apparently I'd been doing well enough. Um, and I went to college expecting it to be more interesting. It wasn't so much that I couldn't, it's just that I didn't want to graduate because uh, I was just not interested. I was so you're just a smart kid didn't that help. didn't want to apply himself basically or thought the I whole mean, that's system what, that's was the way BS. a lot of people look at it, right? They always say, oh, you had so much potential and whatnot. It's like, well... Yeah, that's but just one I don't lens, I guess. Do that, right? yeah. Like I don't like, I have potential, but like I could also have potential as a, a hermit in the woods. Like it doesn't like <laughs> what is that? what does that say? Who's like, to judge, I, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I went to college expecting to be more fun. And there were a couple of classes that really, you know, gripped me. And of course, like I was exposed to new concepts, but most importantly, I think the teachers were the big thing because I went and had multiple conversations with them outside class hours. Um to just shoot, like think out loud, right? Mm -hmm. Not shoot the shit, but it was kind of like that. But I went there to think out loud. And they would, if I, if I said something that was erroneous or that I, if, if I looked like I wanted more clarification, that suggest me a book, some work or other, or, you know, some philosopher in the case of some philosophy teachers, uh, sociology was big as well. So no, I don't have any formal studies, but I have read so much of, you know, the university level curriculum and so many things, you know, bits and pieces. I don't know much about any one thing, but I know a lot. I, that is, I know a little bit about everything, effectively. Mm. I'm just jack of all trades, really. Um, but I, <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about, like specializing is probably uh, not, not something I can do. I think psychologically, mm. it's very difficult. Mm. Interesting. But what was your uh, what was your major? Like, what did you at least try to try to get in your body of knowledge? So I had so I started off doing so I didn't graduate like college at all. Right. Just to be very clear, like I did high school, went to college for a little. I went like I went back four times or something. And now I'm back in it for nursing. Like this is happening. Yeah. This is really happening this okay. time. It's real um, this time. Yeah, the, this time it's for real. I'm gonna like pursue nursing and uh, you know try to find, finally find like my footing in the healthcare field, which is always like it's tangential. It's sort of related to biology in the studies, you know, parts of it at least, um, which is something I always was interested in. But initially, you know, I just went in social sciences um, because it's the easiest place to go, and I wasn't really expecting much out of it like i didn't really think of it as a career building opportunity i didn't see college as a like a stepping stone to to a career i just went there by default it's like what do you do after high school well then you move on to the next school yep. elements like okay yep. i'll go there i guess and so i just yeah did social studies found a couple interesting classes at which i'm glad to have had like i can like in hindsight it's good that i was there and I often ask myself, well, would it have been good if I had stayed? And the answer is, I don't think I could have stayed. Like mentally, it was just not feasible. It's like yeah. I, I go in, I can stay there for two days, you know, 
be told where to look for answers. And then I just go out and seek them, but I'm not interested in the classroom. And that sucked, mm -hmm. um, at least for the sake of acquiring formal degrees. So yeah, if I come across as articulate, it's just by force of having spoken on a microphone for years, and <laughs> having read books. <laughs> hey, reading books is fundamental. It sounds like you had some good props though that that try to um, try to at least suggest directions that you could go down. Like it sounds like okay, hey, this book might help you if you want to know more about that. And instead of them trying to explain everything to you on the spot, it was just like, hey, you can go there you can open that door if you want that's what it sounds like to me at least yeah there was a there was a lot of i want to say open-endedness to the answers that i would give. of course i think like part of it is just they were busy like they couldn't answer as much as i would have yeah wanted. it's also practical sure somewhere yeah yeah, yeah just uh, go away just go read that my... book and come back when you have you know the questions yeah sure like they can't be my personal mentor uh, as much as i would have probably appreciated it at the time but just having those people treat me as i think this is a, like an extension of a problem i've always had and like i we're gonna have to zoom back a little bit here uh, sure yeah, in, in existence but school as a i always experienced it personally as when i was young as something of a prison like i was just not i did not choose to go there i was there regardless of what i wanted whether it was interesting or not, whether I knew the course material, which I mostly always did or not, it didn't matter. It's just I had to be there. And I was told it would get better in high school and then it would tell it was going to get better in college. And it never really got better because what it turns out is missing is the self-directing element that I need to learn. It's like if I if I if tonight I'm fascinated by I don't know, uh floods why they happen. Well, I can go ahead and look that up. And I couldn't go ahead and look that up for hours and try to come up with some semblance of, like, at the end of that, I'll have a good idea of why floods happen. It doesn't mean I'm a meteorologist. It doesn't mean I'm, an, like, an ocean expert. Like, I don't know any, I don't have any of the expertise in those fields, but I can look that up. And the thing is, I can do it in any one of 10,000 different ways. Yes. And then you integrate that knowledge and suddenly it paints a broader picture. It's not specialized. It's not very deep, um, but it's at least colorful. And I don't know if rich is the term I'd use, but it's, it, it's how I learn. And school doesn't really work that way. It's very much, okay, well, today we're going to learn about this thing mm -hmm. um, and we're not going to go off track because that's not the curriculum and suck it up. If you don't like that. So I think that was part of the problem. And I think in college, I finally got a glimpse outside of the classroom when talking to those teachers of people who had finally probably been out of that shell of learning that is very rigid in that road. And they'd learned on their own as well. And they've had to probably for their theses or what have you. I don't really know how far some of them have gone academically. But it was clear that some of the knowledge they'd gotten was as a result of curiosity rather than simple rote learning. And that's the part that really, I, that I felt was good about them is that finally these were adults that treated me as an adult that could learn things and not a kid um, that had to sit in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And that was a, that was a big moment. It's just like that final moment, that transition between finally I'm no longer seen as a child or mm -hmm. an adolescent, but 
as a person who can learn things and should be treated as an equal. That was the the level up moment, I'd say, with authority figures. Yeah, and often it takes us all the way to college to figure that out, right? Because at least for a lot of people, especially if you grew up with a nuclear family with a mom and dad, um, or in my case, like, you know, mom and dad, but also like Asian mom and dad, like they expect certain things of you. So when you're in elementary school, a lot of the time you don't have the luxury of like really doing what you need, you want to do, because first of all, that system doesn't exist. Secondly, if we use the word nudge again, your parents are going to nudge you in that direction. Right. (laughs) So how do you, how do you fight that? Like, these are people that brought you up. So how are you going to, how are you going to fight that? Right. Yeah, that's a fair point too. the the whole parenting thing. Uh, everybody's going to have very different experience. I can't complain too much, although I do. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's inevitable. My sure. my parents are responsible for all my ails. No, but it's it's one of those things where like I, I had by all metrics, like a, a great childhood. Um, I, I wasn't abused. I had I was not wanting for anything at home. Uh, I was fairly free to do and pursue things as I saw fit, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. But the problem is that my home life was not much of my life. It, school was where I spent most of my, I mean, that sounds kind of strange, but like it is where most of my mental energy is spent, where I have, well, I, at the moment of the day where I have the most energy and willingness to do things, I'm in a classroom. So sure, outside of the school, I can pursue things I'm interested in, but I'm burnt out um, from social interactions, from you know following the rules and doing all of that. So by the time I get home, all I want to do is play World of Warcraft. Like I am, it's it, I'm saying this like a, in my teenage years, but early on it was if it wasn't Magic, it was you know Pokemon. If it wasn't Pokemon, it was some some, some other console game. Uh, by the time I get back home, I am just out of it, and I, I wonder how much that plays into this general cynicism of a lot of people towards school at least i think that comes at us like the teenage years uh, that most people associate with teenage being a teenager so oh, teenagers are like that i'm like are they like that i don't know because mm-hmm. i've not seen teenagers in every possible social arrangement mm-hmm. all the teenagers that i most of the research that i've seen on you know social arrangements anthropologically it seems to be the case that not all teenagers behave the same way. Um, it is very much this association we have. Oh, sure, hormonals, you know, profiles change a lot of things. You'll have a bit more aggression coming up. Uh, there's a ton of behavior that's expected to be associated with with with, uh, with being a teenager. But this idea that uh, teenagers are just lazy and lousy that we we tend to to see nowadays. Uh, or that they will misuse their time and they won't think about what they should do. They won't take, they won't care for others. Like, there's this whole idea of what a teenager is, which is just a confused young adult that can't possibly know uh, what's good for them. And there is some truth to that. Mm-hmm. The problem is I feel like what used to be something of a link that helped, let's say, move the teenager from teenage years to adulthood was something like, uh, a ritual, right? It was always very ritualized. And we don't really have a ritual like that anymore. The closest thing we have is like graduation, I guess. And I, or, you know, you've come of age, like you're, you're 18 now, haha. Now, if you, now you go to jail for real. It's, I, I don't really see the, yeah. I don't really see the ritual element, the positive ritual element that comes with 
growing up. I, I, yeah. I haven't, I'm still, I'm kind of looking for it. And I guess this is perhaps the latent, um, like remnants of, uh, religiosity that I've since abandoned. But I, I do wonder like, where is that, mm-hmm. uh, mentorship? Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like there's much of that left between adults and, and, and kids. Were you, you were raised in a religious family? Yes, my father, well, not, you know, an extremely religious one. My father is a Muslim, and we were raised as a Muslim in a Muslim household. I have two sisters, and of course, you know, the difference in what I'm allowed to do and what they're allowed to do was mm. a, a big wake-up call, I think. There's some gender <laughs> differences? <laughs> yeah, there's there's something here that's not quite right for my sense. It might, like, I was raised in Montreal, Canada, right? So, like, it just, something about the dynamics at home and even, you know, in the social circles we were in like once you walk out the door it's different yeah yeah there's something just not working uh here and the thing is it's not working but i don't know where it's not working i don't know if if we're doing it wrong or everyone's doing it wrong because there seems to be a kernel of value to the familial bonding that -hmm. comes from you know religious uh affiliations maybe with other you know community members Mm -hmm. well then i but, but then there's all that negative stuff that comes with it. And it really took a long time to untangle mm-hmm. um, some of those things. So yeah, I was raised in a religious household, but no, no longer. Uh, no, are I there aspects the- of uh, being a Muslim? Are there aspects of it that still remain with you today? Cause I guess the analogy I'll make, even though it's a different religion or belief system is that I was raised Catholic. Like I, I, uh, I was an altar boy for like a decade. I did the whole spiel now I don't go to mass, but I'm still, well, I guess it's, I guess to use a Facebook term, it's complicated, but I still have, I still have a spiritual side. So like you must still, there, what, what, what is, uh, what is your spiritual side or what, what have you, what do you still have from that? Even though, even if you're not a practicing whatever, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a, so I'm, I'm not only am I not like a practicing, but I also, if you ask me honestly, like what my religion is like on paper, it does say Muslim, but as far as I think of myself that's not really so much in the you know in the conversation like the the spirituality thing is the, the conversation around it is so weird to me because I like the more I look at the the conversations surrounding the term spirituality the more confusion I I just experience because it just seems like it's taken on this mystical nature it's almost become a myth like spirituality becomes its own pursuit uh it's like oh i want to be spiritual i'm going to pursue spirit i'm going to be spiritual there are some behaviors that are spiritual Mm -hmm. and others that are less spiritual which is you know very religious to codify that you know certain behaviors as being closer to religious ideals and others not spirituality even in the i want to say more modern sense which is very much infused from eastern religions yeah um it feels like it's missing the point. Uh, and one of the big parts of it, to me, the thing that remained was contemplation. Um, as when I was growing up and we used to do prayer, um, we learned the Quran. So like we learned to to recite the like the holy book during prayer. That was just part of it. But it was in Arabic. And I don't speak Arabic. So I just memorized it. Right? I yeah, just memorized yeah, yeah. whole swaths of it in a language I yeah. couldn't understand. It was just sounds. Um, but what happened was that during prayer, because it's a mandatory thing, right? It wasn't too much, you know, too, too rigidly imposed at home. It's like five prayers a day. 
and you have to do them at a certain time and there's this whole cleaning up you have to do beforehand um and the during the prayer because i didn't really understand what was going on what i found myself doing is well i had my eyes closed and i was just thinking contemplating just like thinking about thinking and at some point thinking about the fact that wait i'm thinking and it just becomes this whole metacognition moment wake up and what i realized is that regardless of whether or not i pray i can just trigger that move into like a shift in consciousness to put it that way which is you just go from being wrapped up in whatever you're doing to suddenly taking a step back and observing your own motions and just putting distance between them that's good that's the thing that's probably helped me stay sane is not have too much of a tight grip on negative emotion uh when it comes i just sort of take it in as bad as it is i just know that if i sleep it off it'll be fine uh and i'm exaggerating a little here um but it's it's definitely helped me put a lot of distance between the day-to-day -day frenzy mm -hmm. and uh i think the the thing that's going through that right that's experiencing that frenzy whatever that's called whatever that is so you know religion people would say a soul perhaps if you believe in that but i there is definitely an experiencer mm -hmm. and i think prayer showed me that mm -hmm. i don't think it's necessary to be a muslim or a particular branch of catholicism let's say yeah but yeah i think that's where most people will find common ground across yeah. most religions is there's contemplation somewhere in there there's yeah. often a tradition of contemplation contemplation controlling your mind controlling your your mood like learning how to let your brain slow down and that kind of thing um i guess i'm generalizing too but th th they seem like useful things to to have throughout your life right so yeah and i remember too talking to someone uh this might be uh, this might be close this might be something you can tell me about because i i haven't really experienced it myself well, they used to tell me that they would go to the church, right? And they, they'd listen to uh, choirs, I think they're called. I don't know if, if that's the right word, but like people would sing all together some psalms. I'm not sure what it was, um, but it, they would sing. And they said that they could feel the Holy Spirit, right? In the, the, the shivers and the, the hair standing and the general sense of euphoria that kicks in and makes you lightheaded. Uh, that, that's a, an experience that I think a lot of people first get in religious contexts yeah um yeah and it's this uh it's a ready-made system for uh i guess that's my cynicism coming out it's a ready-made system <laughs> for like community and just hanging out with people and uh there's already a construct there that you can just plug yourself into and uh <laughs> yeah and it, wor it, it, it works to just, you know it comes it's with a lot of stuff unfortunately but it it just it, it is the closest to you like that emotion yeah. right um, or that, like the just even taking the the the, the contemplation element that can be mm -hmm. done without religious frameworks. Mm -hmm. If you experience in this context first, like it's going to be very difficult to to extirpate yourself. Yeah. From yeah. that, because it it might seem as though they're in they're dependent on that uh, that religious tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say, like, if anything stayed with me, it's that like that that the ability to 
recognize those emotions and know how to seek them out and how to get them. Like if mm -hmm. I want them, mm -hmm. this is the part, I mean, I'm still trying to figure that part out. The whole, the, you know, religion, quote unquote, and community, because like I was a lapsed Catholic or ex-Catholic for many, many years, especially after moving to China. Like I just kind of stopped doing a lot of the things. Uh, and uh, in Canada, I was doing a lot more of it, but I think it's also just getting older and, um you make up excuses like you know too busy to go to i want to sleep in on sunday or whatever right i i earned, i paid my dues all right i i was i i was, I was a freaking boy. altar boy for like 10 years all right i was like so tall i was still had to be an altar boy it was more like an altar man right um because they needed somebody to do that in our small parish whatever right um i remember like trying to reconnect back with the church in china and just being such a prick about it. Like I, I would just go to these gatherings, uh, you know, and I would just be judging everybody. <laughs> I would just be like, these people don't even know what the Bible is. Like I know more than these people, even though I've been out of the, the scene for, yeah. for 10 years, like you're just here to hang out and like date somebody and like, just, just play songs. <laughs> like that's so stupid. We all like, have, are... we all have the, the, you know, the, <laughs> the church stories yeah. it's like a holy place you say i think not unholy uh yeah to use a magic reference unholy strength um it, it's really interesting because like this actually just happened to me last year right um actually earlier this year so i had a friend i should say uh an acquaintance someone an ex-colleague whom i hadn't seen in ages and i just tried to reconnect with her um just yeah, hey what's going on you know we we're both in the same city and she basically was just like, Hey, I have something. Uh, if you want to, if you want to catch up, like I'm doing a group thing this weekend, you can come by. And I, I kid you not, I, I went by and it was actually a religious thing. And she had, I think she had no idea that I even had this background. I didn't know she had this background. Somehow it just sort of happened, but you know what happened? Like this time around, I was very open to it because I was actually thinking like, Hey, I'm 40 years old it's pretty hard to make friends or new friends or reconnect when you're this age because of my own hangups or whatever. Right. Um, that's another story. Uh, but you know, if you <laughs> have a kind of a, a can of worms, that's a exactly, whole one. <laughs> exactly. We're not going to go there. This is about you, not me. But although at this very point I'm talking about myself, <laughs> but whatever. Um, but I kind of realized too, that it's like, I had a lot of hangups and if you can get into a high quality group, even if they're religious or whatever, it's sort of like, they've already kind of passed the test. Cause it's like, you know, when you're in a social setting, you're trying to make a new friend, you have to figure out so many things right off the bat. And you, by doing this is it just kind of shortcuts it to say, to put it very pragmatically, like a lot of stuff has just been shortcut. So it's like, I know these people are good people. I may not agree with everything. I mean, how can you agree with it? Anything anyone ever is right. I don't even agree with myself half the time, but, um, it's good, right? Just lean into it, right? So I, I, it's, it's just interesting experiencing that this year versus even ten years ago. I was such, I was way more of an arrogant prick. I'm not really sure what happened, but maybe it's just having more empathy or whatever it is, or just age beating me down. Yeah, age beating you down is probably a good chunk of it. I mean, one of the things that's interesting too is like I don't have that. I don't share that. That um, uh, what would I say? The inherent trust of like that you might associate with somebody who is religious. Yeah, for a variety fair. of reasons, right? I, like, I, I don't. If somebody's religious, I don't mistrust them, but I also don't lend them. They any don't automatically more get a weight. check mark because of that. Right. I get it. Yeah. Um. But the there's definitely an. I think this is true of essentially the moment you 
recognize um, the you can immediately spot the the cultural role that is expected of you and like you 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 speak the language and when i say the language it's very much an abstract you speak the language of the people you're hanging out with um there's like that sense of bonding that is such a huge driver of of our experiences in general and when it comes naturally it is just satisfying and for better or worse there's a lot of that you acquire without you choosing right you don't choose what you are familiar with right you don't get to handpick as a kid like what things you'll right. find normal what things you don't um and eventually you get to do some introspection maybe break some of that up but it's not that simple and i'd say right like that the the religion for me does not a bad person make um but like i've had the same breakup with i had a breakup with religion let's say that was very argumentative right i couldn't i couldn't leave it alone i was like I just, how how is this how are you not seeing this yeah. like this is like basically confrontational became, it sounds like i became irreligious the moment i so for a time i decided that's it i'm just gonna i i'm good at reading i'm good at words religion is just basically being a lawyer except you talk about god um all the time like you just it's a lot of words a lot of semantics you play with definitions and you you put things in perspective depending on the, the interpretational lens you're using like i'm good with that stuff because i have an easy time like mapping the ideas together and i figured i'm going to become an expert on islam right i'm just that's what i'm going to do right if there's truth here and i can contribute to the betterment of islam let's say let's go and so the more i read the less i wanted to do it like it's just as i started delving into it more it became less and less coherent um and mm. then i couldn't make abstraction of the inconsistencies mm. and that's funny because you would think that like the more you read the more you buy into it but it turns out actually no if you read and you start seeing the cracks like there's a chance you are in a context where you're able to justify it because this is the only language that's spoken around you. Right. There is no other lens to see the world through. But I was exposed to too many lenses and like choosing to put on that one didn't make sense. So I think that to the point of comfort, um, like that would have been uncomfortable for me to do, to force that upon myself. And I think I gravitated back into what I would call my comfort, which is the very, you know, Western... Um, I don't really know what the word is in, in English, but essentially we're the irreligious West, mm -hmm. essentially. So for better or worse. Could it be that we're just too smart and reflective nah. or contemplative for our own good? Do you think that could be it? Um, so I, when I was a teenager, I used to think that, right? Because I, I, I couldn't sleep at night. I was just thinking all the time. Um, I think that's just anxiety. Uh, in hindsight... I'm not diagnosed with anything like anxiety, but I certainly went through some of that. And part of it is that it doesn't manifest in the I'm freaking out and I'm having a panic attack in the middle of the street. It's any idea that enters my mind is suspect. Like it is just immediately being taken apart, ripped mm -hmm. apart by a million different little thought robots. And it needs to fit in like somewhere in the puzzle. Otherwise, like I can't it can't plug in. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some 
maybe anxiety surrounding the idea of truth um, that comes from recognizing the ambiguity of it all, right? Like there is no black or white. It's a terrible and boring. At this point, I think that the idiom should just disappear because it's lost all its meaning. Uh, but it's, there is no 100% truth. There is no, it, it's very much an, a case by case basis for ethics. And that's once you recognize that, I think you become perhaps a little neurotic uh, mm -hmm. about making sure that whatever ideas you take on or you impose are at least grounded in something that looks like um, reality. And mm -hmm. I think that's the, that's the pitfall is maybe you're too sensitive to the ambiguity. Yeah. I like what you said about just having a, a ton of tiny robots process the idea. The way that it manifests for me is just that I've kind of realized that in my mind, I'll just write like a 4,000 word essay on something that is introduced to me as a new idea, just to try and tear it apart, analyze it, whatever. But what I realized is that in the end is that I don't ever want to read that 4,000 word essay again. And I don't want anyone to read that 4,000 word essay either. Uh, not even my wife. Actually, she would probably just stop after, you know, the first five words or whatever, because hey, why me. do you care so much? It's like <laughs> I know exactly. And then maybe in the end, it just it's better, probably better just as a, a gif of, uh, you know, a meme or something like that. And it's just yeah. like just training myself to like just get dumber <laughs> and just not use the robots, the nanobots in my brain anymore. And yeah, yeah. you know, it's, I, it's, it's like a is, balance. This is the beauty of, um, I mean, I, I'll say this, right. Uh, in, and it's not going to be in defense of, of this process of analysis, but rather as a conscious rejection, rejection of it. And it always falls into this. You always end up being accused of some, you know, absurd relativism. Um, when you point out that, it's because there is no, you know, black and white, essentially making pronouncements on, on anything is very, and taking sides, let's say, on. And there are clear lines that are essentially causing harm and yeah. others not. Um, and so I'm not, I shall not be accused of both sidesing everything. I know this here. is, this is the thing about us too, is we'll caveat the hell out of it too. Yeah. Before. And I, yeah. I need to state this because generally speaking, whenever you go on and, and take sides, or, and rather better than that, actually, better than that, ignore the side taking, ignore that there even is a side to take that exists already. Trying to find a position to entrench yourself in, absolutely, regardless of whether it is of your own doing or it's one you found elsewhere or you've taken it, it is very difficult to do that, I think, and remain able to see the world in, in childlike fashion. Um, fascination with banal things like a sunset it's something that i know when i was very young like i'm talking very very young i have memories of seeing the pink and the orange and just finding it so pretty in the sky and like i've habituated to that to the point of it being back it's not even background noise it doesn't even register was there a sunset maybe the sun didn't like i wouldn't even notice um and I'd say that I've become able again to do that, like to just take in the world as it is by learning not to trust that I'm seeing it as it is, which is like a weird thing to say, but by distancing myself from the perception, like the perceptual apparatus 
that I have that I had no control over, that I was born into, whatever the hell this is. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way that you can put distance between yourself and your emotions, you can also put some distance between yourself and an experience you have. And I think for ethical positions as well, uh, you can do that work. Uh, and there, you'll find that there are ethical positions that you just go back to regularly. It's like, yes, like maybe this isn't absolute, but it works like 99% of the time. Like it seems to function most of the time. So this is an idea that I, I, I'm confident if I try to tear it apart, like I'm not going to end up, most of the time it's going to fit. And that doesn't mean that you trust. It's not one or zero, but it's high confidence. Sure, It's very high confidence. And this is the closest I'll get to like a, an ethical position. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's something like, yes, basically every time. Mm-hmm. But like if I, if I have to list caveats, I could come up with a million of them that are very unlikely, but like there's probably caveats to almost any position I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd say maybe harm, uh, something like suffering is like the typical benchmark for ethics that most people relate to. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something you find across many religions uh, as well, if you know you dial it back there. That's the the ethical benchmark. And the closest thing we have to confidence in wanting to diminish. Like we, as a collective, generally want less suffering and more of, not even more of the opposite, but like less suffering. Like just, we don't need more joy, just like less suffering. Just flatten that out uh, Mm -hmm. as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there's very, there's two directions this can go, but let me, let me stick with my original lane here. Okay. Given all that we've talked about, I know you're a parent. You have two kids, right? Yes. Okay. Hopefully that's not confidential. It's out there now. You have two kids. Uh, given all that we talked about, how do you think about parenting them? This is a, this is, I think this is going to be like the most boring interview you've got on here, but uh, I'm... Uh, really? I think it's the best one so far. What are you talking about? The, <laughs> the, so parenting wise, it's kind of, I think it's a pretty tough question because we have a very open-ended um, parenting style. Uh, we're very, how do they call it? They even, they gave it, they gave that a name, I think. Yeah, I'm they sure there's got, a scientific name. I don't know. I'm yeah, not a parent, some so. d- democratic or some such thing. You know, it's something along the lines of we at least consult the kids um, on decisions. Not all of them. It's not like, of course, when we say that, it's not, okay, let's vote on, do you put your sandals this morning? <laughs> it's, that's not quite how that works. But there's a lot more um, freedom, I'd say, in the choices they get to make and not freedom in the sense that we will tolerate tyranny, right? Like I am not going. <laughs> okay, fine. Maybe there's like some choices, right? You can decide you want yeah. to do this. Let's have a discussion conversation. Well, we don't it. negotiate with terrorists, right? Like one of <laughs> like, the, the best way to frame it. So we just give them a lot of choices and we, we've taught them to compromise early. And when I say compromise, not in the typical, you know, tit for tat way where you scratch my back and I scratch yours. Um, which is often how compromise is used, which is a lot more like uh, the establishment of a transactional um, interaction between you and the kid, which, you know, you can work that way. That's how you interact with essentially everyone, right? You just interact. It's it's transactional if you really want to boil it down to the systemic input and output. Um, but we have a relationship that's a lot more giving in the sense that we don't expect anything back necessarily. But... We temper, like if, if they have expectations, we will temper them down. 
you know, and with them, and we'll try to discuss very clearly. Like, okay, we we can't do that, but how about those other things that are, you know, adjacent to the thing that you might be interested in? And essentially, by having those choices open all the time and rather clear, they've uh, at least the older one, the, the youngest one is three, so that's not yet fully manifested. And personalities can affect whether or not that'll even work the second time around. For sure. Um, yeah. But I, our six-year-old is generally pretty flexible, and I, I don't feel like he's, because I, I think back of like at myself at the same age, and he's a lot less boxed in, as a consequence of having had choices to make. And a lot more confident in making choices instead of having to simply follow the rules or whatever it is. Negotiating on the rules, what a thought. Like I it's funny thinking back on it, because as a kid, I just wanted to be treated like an adult. And now I try to treat my kids like well, they're latent adults, really, if we're being honest, right? They're just waiting to become adults. And while you don't want to burden them with the misery of the world, like, yeah, I know, like you're 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 hungry right now, but there are people literally dying of starvation and bleeding mm -hmm. from their eyeballs because of that. Like, I don't want to burden them with that level of, of grotesque, but mm -hmm. um, I, I, there's, there's definitely something about treating the kids like adults, talking to them yeah. with adult words and adult concepts and assuming that it's not too complicated. Like it might be complex, but it's at worst case scenario, they ask a question, you give them a big answer. They don't get it, but you've planted a seed. Those words are going to come up again. And it'll make sense. I was just going to use the term planting the seed. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. It's kind of like the whole teach a person to fish kind of, kind of deal, right? Have them have a mental model for, for compromise, have a mental model for perspective, maybe. Yeah. Perspective is definitely uh, a big one. To be fair, like I am like, especially as parents, I say, you know, there's always this thing where like people always tell me, oh, Nox, you look like a great parent. I'm like, you don't know the half of it. Like, sometimes I end the day and I'm just... You don't know I, me. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know shit. Like, I just feel like so... You know, there's some days that are just garbage. Like, you just yell and you don't want to yell. You don't yeah. want to scream. You don't want to get mad. And you do. And it sucks because... I mean, sure, like, there's some self-reflection at the end of it. Um, but one of the rules that I tried to establish fairly early was something like, I do not want to let my children make me resent them. Now, that sounds like I'm putting the blame on the kid, right? Like, and this is not what I'm doing. What I mean is that there is, I, I know myself and I know, let's say my wife and I know the family that we have mm -hmm. and everybody has breaking points for things yeah. that they can tolerate. Now, the thing is, you have multiple options to deal with that. Either you become more flexible. I'm as flexible as I can be on a lot of stuff. Like there is, there are, I don't have a whole lot of boundaries. I'm very open to just virtually anything. Um, but I know my breaking points. And the problem is if I let my children get past certain breaking points, I know that the risk is that, yeah, sure, from the outside, it looks like I'm a very kind and great parent. But deep down, I harbor some anxiety about child rearing because yeah. I just don't want to be with my kid because I don't know when they're going to, yeah. Throw the next tantrum in the the, the store or what have yeah. you. Because there are some parents that are legitimately terrified of their kids. And it's not so much about like the, you know, the, the syndrome of having their, their kids rule the house. It's just they meant well. They really did. They mm -hmm. they never intended for the child to become a little monster. Mm -hmm. Um, 
They're also but trying they, to stay happy too and just just be live with themselves, right? So yeah, exactly. So it's not it's very difficult to like to describe our parenting, but so far it's been just talk about it. Yeah. Like that's the that's the the overarching rule is let's just, just let's just talk. Um yeah. and explain everything and anything. Literally. I mean, I mean, it's just relationships, man. I mean, you talk about the breaking points, like I'm, I'm married and, you know, we know each other's breaking points. And sometimes the, the people that you love know your breaking points and they know sometimes they, they push that or their breaking point is then impacts your breaking points. So it's, uh, it's life, man. It's, it's hard. It's a it's complex, hard stuff. it's a complex mess. Definitely. Like if you, if you look at it from the bird's eye view and you try to solve the equation of <laughs> like child rearing, um, and this is the thing too, is that I always like child, like parenting advice is <laughs> generally, I mean, I just, I am so, this I is not going to be the interview where I say, what, what would you say to uh, <laughs> a new parent? Like, what are the top three things, uh, you know, the top three things and please give it to me in five minutes so we can make this into a YouTube clip or whatever, you know? Yeah. I, I think like, the, the, but the, if I had one tip to give it something along the lines of expect nothing, mm. Like this would be the number one tip. And I, I would say this about anything you do in life, yeah. Um, which is something like expect nothing. Just, you know, mm -hmm. you want to be kind towards somebody else. Kindness is the perfect example in that kindness says more about you than it says about anybody but, else. But kindness but, without expectation of return. Is that what you mean? Or Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the thing about kindness is that if you expect to return, then it isn't so much kindness as much as it is a transaction. It's not like altruistic. It's, it's, yeah. It's do gooding. Mm -hmm. Sure. Like you're doing good. Um, and there's a return to like in it. And I'm not arguing that selflessness is the only way to live because I, I think there's a point where that can become its own pathos, right? It can fall and become a problem. But by and large, kindness is mostly so that. It again, it says more about who you are as a person when you're able to be kind through hell and back mm -hmm. than uh, when you always expect a return. And I think with kids, that's somehow what you have to do. I think kindness on a fundamental level doesn't mean you exhibit kindness, it doesn't mean that your kid thinks you're being kind. Sometimes mm -hmm. that's not at all how it looks to a child, right? Um, but things can be a kindness that, um, like it'll look like kindness in the future. Yeah. It'll be seen as such. Right now, what you're not looking to do is buy your kids peace by giving them Pokemon. Yeah. Cards, right? like it's Planting the seeds of kindness, right? Because kindness is not just like you're using, you know, really soothing language or you say please or, you know, it's, it's not the surface level stuff necessarily. It's like a mindset or a way of being as well, I think, anyways. Yeah. I mean, and I, re I have a couple moments in my life where I distinctly remember not being kind. Um, and then they, they stick. One of those moments is uh, it's esports related, which is funny to think back on. Um, was someone, I was at an event to commentate some Hearthstone tournament. Somebody comes up to me and I'm talking to somebody else already at that point. Mm -hmm. We're having a conversation. And that person comes up and, like, hey, Knox, like, I watched. Just interrupts you, right? Yeah. Right, just like comes and interrupts, and like they mean well at that point. And I like I know that they they're probably having fun at the esports event. And I'm not I I wasn't a full on diva. Like how dare you? I didn't say a thing. I just let them talk. I'm like, oh cool, yeah, I'm glad you watched the videos. I'm I'm you know it's cool that you you like Hearthstone. Are you watching the tournament? Um, being very polite. And then at some point I'm like, okay, like I just want 
this to, to end. Like, I just, yeah, yeah. I'm tired. Uh, and they say, I, I watch your stuff and I love your videos. I'm like, which one's your favorite? Like, <laughs> you, can't do, you can't do that to someone. Because, yeah. like, they don't know. Like, if, it's like if I ask you right now, what's your, like, favorite album from some city? I was like, you don't remember the name of the song on the spot, probably, let alone the name of a video mm-hmm. that I made, like, on the YouTube channel. But, you're, the- but even if your intentionality is not kind, they, they could still think you're kind because you... You you asked oh, no, them maybe no, no, maybe no. they it like was, it. I right? put them on the spot. Like I, it clearly it was intended and. Oh, it was kind of curt and kind of snippy. It like... was curt, yeah. It was it was very snappy and it wasn't nice. Like it was not a nice thing to say. Um, like I and I think back at that moment, like if I could tell that you person, still remember sorry, that, like that's the oh, one it's, thing it's about being in my brain. unkind. I mean, there's, there's probably other things that I've done, but I remember that that's the f- first time that I like distinctly remember feeling so annoyed with someone that I would just right. do something and say something intentionally mean. Yeah. Um, and, and I was, you know, <laughs> it was, it was not a good, it wasn't a shining moment of, uh, mm-hmm. of kindness on my part. It, it's mm-hmm. very mild, right? Like if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, but it still remains like that emotion. I had the inability to stop it. And I just like listened to the impulse of saying something mean to get them out of my, my sight. Um, that is not something that I, I want to, just live in every day and i know people that behave this way all the time um, yeah not just because they're being disagreeable um in their personality maybe but like they actually go out of their way to find like the hurtful thing to do to gotcha you and it's just uh it's heavy oh really I, w- I would think that a lot of people are also maybe there might be another category where it's just sort of they have developed a shield um, huh, you know, I, that might be different because, you know, if somebody's a celebrity or somebody is, uh, uh, I don't know, a Raynad or, or, uh, I don't know, like if you're a ninja, I mean, I don't know anything about them, but like they have to create certain coping and defensive mechanisms. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I think there's probably some truth to the fact that, um, I mean, I, I've, I've had people come up to me at events all the time, right? Like that's like a one-off, like a one-off moment where I just sort of lost it in the moment. And it, it didn't seem that bad, but it's the, um, I think you just become able to push people away uh, when you're in the public eye more readily. Because again, this parasocial relationship and like the circle back to content creation as a whole, that is an element that I just find so uncomfortable. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's very odd because it's led to me making, I would say, the decent friends with people that have watched me, right? Like, I, I what happens is I, I can't just have them as a consumer of content. I want to know who they are. Like, who right. are you exactly? And, um, yeah, I've had many a long conversation with viewers uh, over the years. Yeah. That's that's the you broke the cardinal rule, friend. You're not supposed to do that. I, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to read the YouTube comments. You're not supposed to like know who they are. They're supposed to be faceless entities, just like zeros and ones on the screen. Uh, yeah. yeah. The the outcome, right? Focus on. Yeah, focus yeah, on yeah. This is, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. So I talked to somebody before this interview and asked them about, hey, give me your best uh, insights on Knox, and um, this is what they said. I'm going to read it out to you verbatim. He is a functionalist at heart who tries to imagine the best possible future in every scenario and does his best to make sure the people around him and associated with him are paid their proper share. He has almost 
too much passion for this world, and I find it endearing. Well, that's the quote. Like that's a very. You know what? I'm just gonna take it in. That's just a, take it in, man. Yeah, that's one heck of a reading of, uh, <laughs> of my existence. It's good. I mean, from just having talked to you for a short while, I mean, I, I can't claim to know you super well, but it, it almost seems like you're too nice for this content creation thing. You're like too nice to, to be in the sphere that you're, you're in. Like you care a little bit too much. Like you kind of broke these cardinal unspoken rules. And to me, you're just not a fit for it, right? Because you have to be more robotic. You have to be more of a psychopath or whatever. And you're just not. And it's just, I don't know. You just seem too normal for for this. I was like, the way that I describe it always is something like, when I say it's accidental, I mean that, right? I just booted up one day after making all those Hearthstone videos to close what we started talking about eons ago, um, one day somebody told me, hey, there's this thing called streaming. Like, you should just install this software and plug a camera in and, like, play Hearthstone on in the beta. I'm like, I don't know what the hell that is. Like, I had no clue what streaming was at the time. Mm-hmm. I'd been... I was recording... I didn't even know what video was. I used to record... Okay, my first videos on youtube some of the like, coolest ones i actually did on powerpoint using like the animation features of powerpoint yeah yeah and transitions. they looked like yeah no but the trend the transitions you could animate objects to move in and out like you could actually use powerpoint as like a, a very bad version of adobe premiere like <laughs> yeah, yeah. very basic like flash stuff yeah um so those were some of my first videos but like i just booted up the stream had a camera barely spoke english properly um, and I guess I knew the words, but I pronounced everything. I butchered everything. And I was just happy to play Hearthstone. And that must have radiated through because I ended up with thousands of viewers like right off the bat. Um, and that carried me for a long time in Hearthstone until I grew wary of the ecosystem. And then mm-hmm. you know, that, that whole space started yeah. drying out for me. But I'm, I'm not a good fit for content creation. I don't think not, I don't think it's got much to do with the fact that um, like I've got too much heart or what is it, whatever it is, passion um, or kindness. Mm. Like you have to be a psychopath. I think it's just that in essentially every industry, this is what's demanded of you. Um, This abstraction of the people into data sets and data points. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I can do that to a point. Like, I, I understand that I can do that, but it's difficult for me to maintain that very long. Mm-hmm. Like, I can speak the language of monetization experts if I'm in charge of a product. Like, if you put me in charge of a gaming project and you tell me, all right, how do you build this thing to extract money out of people? Money, just like mo- raw money. They're just yeah. people that you want to get to pay. I, I understand this whole thing. I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. But the issue is that I can never forget the stories of the people who go in debt with families that they barely even take care of because they're just... Like they maxed out their credit card to get exactly. all the in-game items because they, they're a whale kind of thing. Because they keep getting whispered by the game. Oh, boss, uh, we have a special deal for you. And only they see that whisper, not somebody else. Like all these little tricks. And this is a thing with every industry that... Is I can speak the language of the, the corpo speak. I can corpo speak if I want to. Mm. 
the issue is the end result of that is almost always inhumane. Um, mm. And I don't think that people who do that set out to, like, I don't know a single person in marketing that's setting out to make the world a worse place. Right. Right. But they do. But the world like, to hell is paved with good intentions. and Exactly. And so they say, oh, we've made like the best ad that we could for this product. And I'm like, well, okay. Like, that's good. You're, you're very competent. You're very proficient. You're very creative. And that's awesome. Those are characteristics in a human being that I love. But I don't... And, and again, I'm not accusing anybody here of evil. Um, I'm saying that whatever it is that we do, what's being rewarded is effectively the abstraction of other people in the society as vague entities that somewhat live in our vicinity, mm -hmm. but that we don't really impact. Mm -hmm. And we we have many layers and, and barriers that have been established uh, within you know institutions and whatnot that render that easy to just forget mm -hmm. because you're so far away from the people that are affected by your ad that it doesn't matter mm -hmm. um, or it's just a small ad like it's for it's for diapers how bad could it be well okay yeah uh, slippery slope and all that it goes it goes very far and I can never forget that like the the sort of the system level consequences yeah which means that i'm almost um unwilling to just participate right, right. like i right and this is a real you can problem. choose not to play the game to use that that analogy right i i that's my my favorite option is to choose not to play the game and to a point streaming is kind of like that like i can't think of a more wasteful use of time than just playing video games to an audience of like i just I legitimately could not come up with something stupider than but the what about, that I've made. What about the on. argument? This is also why I love doing this interview today is because you're providing a counter or I don't know if it's called counterfactual or counter argument to what all these delusional streamers and content creators are telling me. Like the argument that they have is always like, I'm brightening someone's day. Like they watch my stream and, <laughs> you know, call them all delusional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, shots fired, right? No, so also my theory is that if anyone ever listens to this podcast for like more than an hour, they're the real fans. So at this point, I, we could say anything we wanted and it'd be okay. Um, that's another topic. Uh, you know, this is already a deep cut by by the fact that we're 90 minutes into this. But um, what about that argument? It's just like you're helping, you're making someone's life happier, right? Because maybe the way they're happy, and then you could argue that's not the way to be happy is to watch uh, Knox stream Hearthstone. But um it is what it is, right? So this is where I, I I agree with them in the sense, and this is something that, you know, whenever I bring up this point about streaming not being very productive use of my time, people who watch my stream and who have gotten, they say, a lot out of it from talking to me and we've gotten to know each other a bit better from repeat interactions and actually having conversations, even though there's always this delay and this barrier, um, they say that, they're happy that I was there, right? That they got to to talk to me. And like they make a great point, which is I'm having a positive impact on people in this instance by streaming, but like you can have, and we're going to tie it to entertainment because that I think is sort of the overarching point. It's not only am I entertainment, I, I'm also making people happy with something that resembles like a human connection element on top, like layered on top. And so if it's just entertainment you're providing, it's like, well, they could be watching Paw Patrol. You are effectively just an alternate Paw Patrol. Like, you are just the continuation of Peppa Pig, except for grownups. Yep. So you're right. Like, yes, you are providing joy. 
Um, but then I'm gonna have like I'm gonna have to ask: Do we want a society of people who are joyful, or a, like perpetually in need of the next, you know, right. brighter like bright day yeah. moment making? Like, yeah, it's event? also about what you want too. I, I don't imply anything. I don't mean to over imply that because like it might not be productive for you. It might not be happy sure. for you. So you can't always just be performing for other people either, right? That's essentially like a a, a minor celebrity almost. It's like I, at some point you're just a someone dancing for somebody and sorry it sounds so negative but like you, I, it can't but just like be about it. them i really like the the no the, the word dancing is perfect because i remembered Raynad at some point got absolutely angry at one of his viewers he's like he somebody donated to him i don't know 10 bucks to do something okay and he's like thanks for the oh, 10 man. bucks and then the guy's like well, okay well you didn't do the thing he's like i'm not your dancing monkey he's just like, like, i don't thanks for the 10 dollars i guess but like i i'm not i'm not gonna just dance for you on a on a snap of the fingers and like to a point um like my argument to people that say oh it brightens somebody's day it's like well many things can do that and i'm not sure that adding more layers or more data points on the you know dopamine generating machine that's out there at this point um is particularly meaningful so i try to the best that i could during the time that i spent streaming is i tried to have when we talk, when a topic comes up that's pretty tough, let's say I'll just try to talk about it for as long as I can yeah. um, until I run out of ideas or somebody stops or it's like, you know, something comes up in game and it's not always successful in the sense that it doesn't always lead to anything important, but I'm trying to, if I tried to create something, it was more meaning than joy, right? Like joy, I'm, I'm, not, I'm never concerned with creating joy mm. um, because mm. I didn't experience a joy crisis as a kid. Mm -hmm. I experienced mm -hmm. a meaning crisis. I experienced like joy. Sure. I get, give me packs of Pokemon cards, crack them open, get hyped. Oh my God. It's Charizard. <laughs> like it just keeps going. It never stops. Yeah. But go meaning, to the playground that, or something. Yeah. You get bad. joy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, this is right? so. This I'm sure your kids are getting joy, just climbing up and down repetitively, like hundred times down a, a swing or whatever. And it's like, that's joy for them. Right. It doesn't have to and be. It is. Yeah, it is. It does generate joy. But there's there comes a point I think where the like so I think I don't know if that's accurate to say of everyone um, because it's it's I'm realizing very clearly that it's not but as you enter the mid twenties right uh, one of the things that neurobiologists tell me is that the prefrontal cortex is starting to effectively be quote unquote fully developed by then which means until then it wasn't at least not completely. And a lot of things come from that, is my understanding, which has to, part of it has to do with abstraction and the ability to reason in the abstract. And I think part of that unlocked ability is something like, oh my God, metacognition. And from that, I think you can get a meaning crisis uh, come up if there was nothing there prior. Because you can, you can, I think, completely bypass that crisis if you have a very tightly knit community that you feel a part of, you have groups that you belong to, you have an identity that is forged and formed and ebbing and flowing from so many things around you that make you feel cared for. I think insofar as there is nothing horrible that has happened to you um, or something good that should have happened that didn't, by and large, you're going to be fine. And you might even bypass that meaning crisis. But if you don't have that network, which my understanding is communal, 
you know, uh, circumstances are generally better at doing, which we've more or less moved away from. I think most people in their mid twenties by now reach that crisis. And of course, like they hit, there's multiple reasons why that would be compounded. Like, Oh, you'd enter the workforce, the, you know, maybe you don't like your boss. Maybe you realize the job is not suited for you. Maybe you don't find your place in the world, what have you. Um, and the problem is I'm afraid that entertainment like streaming doesn't actually help with that. Like, I don't think that meaning is created for the people that yeah. watch you. And I think, Really, like when I say you're interchangeable with Peppa Pig, I mean it. Like I, yeah, I don't find it particularly valuable. Like entertainment can be meaningful. It just isn't well, always. you can't connect with Peppa Pig at least not until the technology gets good enough where you can do personalized <laughs> Peppa Pig I AI mean... and a hologram. But people can connect with you. So I would also argue that what you do is about connection. Like this is the, this is also, this is where James the optimist actually comes out and, and says like, you know, you can make real connections on Twitter. You can, despite their best efforts to make you do things a certain way and dance a certain way, you can build connections over these platforms. You're, you're basically subverting the platform to do what you wanted to do. And it's, it's, Imperfect analogy, but it's kind of like how um, it's okay. I'm just going to say it my way. All right. So you don't have to agree with this, but Go ahead. it's, it's like how people say um, the escort industry or the pornography industry can be empowering for women because the, for women that choose to participate entirely of their own volition. Now there are going to be people that are in there because of, because they're victimized or they, they, because of their past that um, they're, they don't have free agency over that but there is a certain segment in which like okay here are the rules the rules are kind of stacked against me as a content creator but i can still make it work meaningfully in my own way and i know i'm saying this and coming across as a, a, a pure like streaming apologist or whatever but i'm just saying i see that argument i can see that argument you know yeah i mean i i think this is a uh, one of those things where we're all v victims of circumstance and the thing is that we tend to fall into the habit of fabricating beliefs to excuse behavior uh, is the best way that I'd frame it, which is it's much easier to create reasons why we're doing something than to really take a long, hard look 200%. at it. And so yeah. in some way, I when I say that streaming sucks, or I don't say that it sucks, but that it's not very meaningful yeah uh what i meaningful mean is, for you right i, I guess sure, right for, for me yeah. definitely i have to <laughs> have to specify that um is that i can think of a lot of entertainment that might have meaning creation bound up in it in a more long-lasting way and I think this is really the the component here that maybe my my understanding of it would change if I thought about it differently is I don't feel, for instance, that watching a streamer is as likely to lead to long-term, let's say, satisfaction and contentment as uh, going to theater. And now, am I saying that theater is inherently the superior, you know, entertainment form? No, because in many ways, watching a streamer is exactly that thing. Uh, and theater can be dreadfully boring and suck completely. But yeah. there is a pacing to it uh, right. that is part of the part of the human experience, I think, is, well, we experience time. And one of the problems with a lot of the platforms 
and the entertainment that we consume online and that streaming is part of is that effectively it is running at quadruple speed mm -hmm. uh, and you never really have time to about the content itself to reflect on the content because there is nothing to reflect very often it's yeah. not that there can't be but it is often not created for the sake of causing yeah. reflection or trying to incentivize yeah. that there also is no real uh long-lasting anchor maybe i think this is what you're mm -hmm. implying which is like you can never really even if i'm the biggest fan of uh professor knox or your stream and i know i meet someone who's the biggest fan of your stream as well um Okay, anachronism. You can't have two biggest fans of the stream, but you're both fans of the stream, all right? Um, <laughs> We've done it. <laughs> you can't really say like, oh man, remember at like the 25 minute, 13 second mark of that stream that he did last week? Like that was amazing. And the guys, the other guys like, yeah, yeah. Like you can't really have that same anchor as if like, okay, you both read, uh, I don't know, like a famous novel and you can then talk about that on the same wavelength like the, the 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 cultural or the anchor isn't really there right like i might be able to go one level above and say like i love nox as a streamer and the other guy says i love nox as a streamer and you can have some kind of relation on that but it, it's not like a cultural artifact like the matrix okay i watched the matrix and you watch the matrix and there's something there it's a, it's a little different right yeah I, and this is interesting more ephemeral i guess Ephemeral is the right word, and there is a lot of value in ephemeral experiences. Like even some art is essentially built on the idea that you can't ever experience it again, and it just vanishes. Right? We do we do a lot of that, and to a point, I think streaming is precisely that. If you want to look at it from a if you want to take a like a bird's eye view of culture, let's say, and you look at streaming in particular, and you can decide that this is similar to some TV shows or you know live shows. Um, it's not particularly unique in that way. Like, it's just a continuation of a long trend, except it's quote-unquote democratized, um, and it lets people produce stuff from their living rooms. But, like, I would challenge the the, the meaning creation value of, uh, of a lot of TV, let's say. Yeah. Which, again, the, the thing to remember, too, is that there is an incentive problem at the core and the heart of this, which is, well, the content isn't being produced to be produced. It's being produced to make money. Right. And that right there, I mean, it could just be that I can't help but think about that mm -hmm. fact because I've been behind the curtain, mm -hmm. but there is something about that content that immediately feels like it's not, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there was, to, to put it crudely, there was a suit use, who, who created that a, thing. Right. Right. Yeah. There's something like that. At least the suit part of your brain came up with that. Like yeah. maybe like not, you're not a suit, you're not a soulless person, but like the suit part of your brain did that. Um, and it can be difficult sometimes to, to really stop thinking and stop mm -hmm. remembering that. But that's true of most things, right? Like even yeah. service people. So like is streaming able to create meaning to a point, but like a, a thing I remember a while ago, I said something along those lines and I, I'm quoting myself here which is very odd um but it was something like it was a, a bit of a joke tweet which says it said what do they say oh my god i can't find a game to lose myself in anymore uh where are the good games what they really mean is my ability to focus was annihilated by short form content vomit and social media refreshing and i can't stick to one thing for more than 10 minutes anymore like, so they say one thing, but they really mean another. And I truly believe that. Like, they, I, I really think people misdiagnose uh, 
the reason why they're seeking content, the reason why they're trying to find streamers that they like. Because if you've, you'll notice fan communities congregating around a person, right? They'll become like a, a fan of that streamer. Like they're no longer just, they don't just watch um, a streamer. They are, you know, part of the club and it's part of the marketing gig for streamers too. It's like, what is the name of your sub? Oh, what is the name of like, are they like in my case at one point, I don't remember what it was like angry chickens or ooslings or like, they just, just for right. fun. You got to have your tribe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it creates, so like you have this sense of community building that comes up around the person. Um, but it feels a little bit like a cult of personality to a point. Like if you're, if yeah. you just take a step back, it's like, this is just typical. I, Try I mean, tested it, and true, baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, and good for them that they're able to find a community and like an, an example of someone, and he would hate for me to say this, but an example of someone I think who, who uses his influencer or content creative powers as well as they can be used um, is probably day nine, uh, which is, He's someone that has put a lot of effort in trying to at least push people to better themselves and better the world around them. Uh, and you could argue a thousand ways, you know, whether or not it can really be done from the vantage point of video games. But I think as far as somebody in the space that has a, a positive influence, mm -hmm. that would be that person. Uh, Day 9 is the exception to the rule, I would say. Yeah. Uh, what's it like to work with Day9? I know you've done, um, what's it called? What the <laughs> Deck? You've done a couple of things with him, more than a couple. Like, what's it like? Because, like, he is someone that I really look up to on a, on a content level as well. So. I would, I mean, I think he's just, uh, it's very cathartic, uh, stalking with him. So we have, we share a lot of interests, although not, you know, one-to-one, -one, but he loves game design. I love game design, so we often talk about that stuff. Uh, we talk about more personal stuff as well, but he's just a generally well-intending human being, uh, and that transpires in everything that you do. Yeah. But at least all my interactions with him, um, it, it it has felt to the point where like, I almost have to sometimes... It, sometimes it feels like... I, I should remind him to, <laughs> to be less giving, right? Like in, uh, for like a better way to put it, you know, just mm. uh, dial back the selflessness, but it's just maybe I see a little bit of uh, of similarities with the, the tendency to want to help. Mm. It's, it's just, it's just great. Day nine is just a, a great person. Um, mm. Although you probably would <laughs> be red at the cheeks if you suggest he would probably opinion. push back personally on that a little bit but... yes he would say well you don't know me personally but okay i'll take it um but yeah he does he does the effort uh and it shows in the community yeah i mean he's like the to me he feels like the top echelon of echelon of content people because there's a kind of earnestness that is just not there he's just not uh, not there with other people i that i've observed like he's he's just not wired to be a like he's wired to be his way obviously right we are um but i would also add that he reminds me of neil in the matrix where the matrix is this whole ecosystem and he's able to somehow like find a way to defy the physics of the world or ecosystem that he's in you know what i mean yeah and there's something about the way the day nine operates that's and you mentioned that point i, I think day nine also 
So he's got the credentials, he's got the legitimacy in the space for his own accomplishments and his, you know, competence and the hard work that he puts in, which is very obviously, um, you know, a big part of the reason why he's where he is. Um, but there's also something of a, of con like, there's constraint, I would say. Restraint is the word, sorry, not constraint, restraint in, I think, the endeavors that he takes on. Like, sure, yeah, he might have jumped into the unknown a couple of times, but, I, you know, he's not, he doesn't have the, 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 the <laughs> what's the word I'd use? Um, he hasn't reached the cancer stage of content creation, which is where you try to grow at all costs. You mean he's not uh, where... delusional? <laughs> <laughs> there My is... words, not yours. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is absolutely like I want to say inspiring if you're in that space to watch someone manage yeah. to restrain, right? It's not growth it. at all costs. Like it's there's restraint. some sort of like, like something yeah. will, some things I'll do, some things I won't. Mm -hmm. And to a point, sure. Like you could argue that he has more opportunities than he knows what to do with. And like, maybe that helps play into that, that narrative. But I think by and large, he's shown a lot of uh, responsible behavior in general with, towards himself sure which is a big part of uh just i think making it through life in general but also the people that watch him i think he genuinely wants them to if he's going to do this at all then he might as well make it more than just about himself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a very good way to put it and uh just just pivoting into something earlier game design uh, you know let's just say game design as opposed to nursing like why not game design? You you strike me as someone who is very, you know, you have the corporal speak, you have the the acumen, you have clearly been playing games for a lot of your life. Uh, is it the things that you hinted at, like just not wanting to be in that machine? Is that why you're you're not fully stepped in there? Or are there other factors as well? That's a, it's fairly broad. Um, part of it is, with game design is that if I take a like you know if I take a step back and look at it, it's not the games that are the problem. I like the idea of games. I've I, I know that games can actually do some good, quote unquote. Um, but the issue is that there are there's too much of that. It isn't it, it isn't a skill that is missing. And the so there are there isn't a, a lack of game designers there isn't a lack of game makers uh, what there is a lack of for the most part in the game design let's say ecosystem and you could take it's a bit more of an industry thing there is a lack of a place to do game design without worrying about the monetization side which of course then becomes the lens through which you view game design and the systems that you create have to fit in that little niche and there are a couple. There's an interesting article I read recently that I thought was was um, was pretty telling, which is something along the lines of it feels like games is like games have not evolved in the last decade, and I feel they that. tried to it, it, and they, they they ask why that's the case, and really if you drilled it down to the very bottom, one of those things could be, well, we've just explored, we've tapped, we've tapped out the 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 vein of narrative motifs and like artistic motifs that we can shove into games we've just tapped out all of that um well maybe there's some truth to that like yes we have more and more minds looking at games no i don't i don't buy that at all 
I, I think it's got, I think it has absolutely to do with the commercial aspects. Um, basically why we have, you know, 10 gazillion Marvel movies as opposed to uh, something else. <laughs> sure. So this is, I think the more likely reason for that. Um, but even beyond that, it's that they're the consumers are asking for world of Warcraft, but classic, the yeah. consumers are asking for the golden days of games, which is, you know, really just an emotional bond to a mm. lot of things Nostalgia. that are familiar to sure. them. To go back to the comfort zone that you talked about with the people that you met and you let the barrier down. At some point, there is a tendency to want to return to comfort or to find comfort. And unfortunately, that often means um, sticking to something familiar. And the market recognizes that as the 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 age group that has the money to spend becomes... Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Way, right. right. Yeah. And so culture is dead, right? Like the window on nostalgia is closing and like soon we'll just be playing this. Like we'll be remaking games that were made last year. Um, although I'm sure that's already been done. So yeah. the, the, the game industry for game design is not that interesting. And the other areas and the ways to pursue it require knowledge that I have no real interest in acquiring. Like if I really want to do game design properly, I think at this stage, my best move is probably to learn to code, mm -hmm. um, learn to do art as well. But I don't want to make games badly enough to mm -hmm. learn those things. Like if I, mm -hmm. if I learn those things, it's going to be because of a project that really, you know, yeah, I, I guess I'm passionate about, but it's, it's much less meaningful at this stage for me than just pursuing something like healthcare, which mm -hmm. while I'm sure at some point it'll become routine. Um, and I, who knows, maybe I do get bored of it, which I hope I don't to the same level, uh, but I'm never going to have to question the value of it, the social value of it, which is probably one of the elements that's been weighing on me for the last few years, more than I care to admit. Got it. Got it. So to put it perhaps too simplistically, game design is not a game you want to play. Like it's just not because of the the things you said. Whereas um, nursing or being in the healthcare system, that is something that you can always you can always find the meaning or the meaning for you or the direction for you that can make sense. Right? It's not going to suddenly be pulled out from you one day because you've thought it through, obviously. I also think game design is just generally boring. Um, and I, I say this as like, I, lo I love systems. Systems are like, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the way systems are like operate and how they feed into each other. And it's funny because I love systems, but I haven't learned to code, which is very odd. Like I, I don't have the urge to want to code, but I understand the logic behind the sort of the way that they tend to, the software tends to function. And that's basically systems, and I love systems. And the thing with game design is that I feel like the beauty of it comes from not so much the systems design side. Um, it's more of a whole, which and the, much of it comes from the, the the images you're taking in, the way the story is told, as opposed to the story that's told, right? Like there are infinite numbers of hero stories how you tell it in a way that hasn't been done yet is difficult or like in a way that's going to be compelling. It's very tough to figure out. 
And the systems design part, to me, like you could, I could take that interest in systems and like apply it to the way a hospital is run right. or right. the way a transit system functions or right. sewage, like that the systems logic transfers over. Yeah. And so what I loved and what game design taught me is that I love systems. Um, yeah, and that's funny. enough, right? You can apply yeah. it to different domains. Um, it, it sounds like you're more interested by the, maybe the emotional ramifications of games anyways. Like as opposed to being like, here's the economy of the game or here's the, the, the levers I can pull up and down to design the game. It's like, how do I do it differently? How do I, how do, I do something that hasn't been done? How do I build the emotional connection with, um, with the gamer or the player? Maybe, that, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that seems to be something that uh, you're more interested in, right? I, if I did game design, I would care about, like, essentially, my, my driving fear is always something like resonance. Um, the thing the players, and this is something Mark Rosewater uses a lot when talking about magic, which, wait, we haven't really spoken about magic, funny enough. That's okay. The um, perfect uh, episode <laughs> is where we don't talk about magic, just to be clear. So the, um, the, Mark Rosewater talks about resonance a lot, and this is a concept that I resonate with, funny enough, uh, Pun intended. It's because it's the is the the reason why magic makes it over a lot of other card games is because of aesthetic resonance. I really think so. Like there is there is mechanical complexity, sure. There's depth and infinite recombinations and whatnot. But fundamentally it comes down to looking at the green mana symbol and being like, this is green mana. Looking at the blue mana symbol and seeing like the the intended meaning of that symbol, which is, you know, really just tapping right. into something like blue energy uh, and having five colors that are all representative of very like deeply rooted. Mm -hmm. I think if you, if you, I think you could debate that like a million ways, but I think they are tapping into something um, archetypal in some way in the culture we're in doesn't mean yes. it can be universalized, but I would argue that it could be in many ways. And they're, they're tapping into that, well, unexpectedly, like magic did that almost by accident initially. Yeah, unintended consequences, if you will. Yeah, and I think Mark Rosewater really realized that. I think he was the first, if not the, the I don't know if he was the first, but I can safely say that he understands that mm -hmm. resonance is paramount. Like he, he studied it and he was able to kind do. of like make that into a, a thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, so instead of simply saying, I'm going to make cards that have abilities, I'm going to make... Like the color pie, what does each color evoke to people before they even play the card? Like mm -hmm. what does nature in the context of this game, what does that evoke really? Mm -hmm. um, well, look, we're always going to have like the themes that come up all the time are growth. Yeah. And, like, and so they're always tapping into. That's like the second revolution within magic, right? Where the first revolution was just that this wonderful thing came into existence, but then there was that sort of, innovation within it and i think rosewater's stuff sometimes gets overlooked or maybe it's become so uh accepted that it becomes overlooked yeah yeah and i i'd say right now that we're in the phase where magic is shifting away from that and it's becoming a rule set right they've set it themselves yeah, they, it's become more of an engine is, right to use a game exactly analogy. precisely it's become they're going back to the pre-color pie era view of magic as a series like a set of rules effectively not a not a world and that's all fine and good and i'm sure it's going to be commercially successful because it's already well and you know ingrained 
Um, but the resonance part is not as important as it used to be, which is fine. But mm -hmm. it is definitely a driving factor in game design. Like if I if I if I design a game, if I were to design a game, I think resonance would be like step one. How do I make everything here fit and make it so it never looks like it's out of place? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So going back to the nursing part, I mean, where are you at right now with it? Are you are you have you started? Are you are you well on your way? Or what's what's the story? I'm starting in like four weeks uh, officially. I've had to do, it's funny because I had to do catch up classes for chemistry. Because um, I had like, I, again, as I said, in high school, I just gave back blank pages everywhere. <laughs> so I had to catch up the old classes that I had failed prior um, just to get in. But now like I, I've been accepted um, I'm looking for a job already. I, it's funny because I did a small formation about 10 years ago, 12 years ago um, in caretaking. I'm not sure what it's called. Like, uh, I don't know, you assist nurses. So effectively, like if patients need to be turned around or, you know, taken care mm -hmm. of, you need mm -hmm. to take a bath, what have you. Um, I was trying Canadian too. So I only know your lingo. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the, it's, it's like the aid nurses. I'm not even a nurse, but whatever. Mm -hmm. So and I had that. It wasn't a recognized formation. I just did it uh, in a small... They offer that. A, lo a lot of the time, they, they offer that job or that formation to um, to immigrants that have just arrived and they need to get a job very, very quickly. So they just teach them the very rough basics. Like, here's how to wash a person. Here's the law. Here's the things you should like know about Alzheimer's patients and go like they give you like you have about a month and a half of format which is not a lot but it's enough mm -hmm. to be functional yep. the problem is it misses a lot of the important bits um which are i think more important as you progress into nursing but so i have that so i've done i've already worked in that kind of context and so i'm looking for a job right now in in a hospital nearby while i'm going to um to college starting in about a month I think officially nursing will have begun. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm well on my way and I'm pretty set to, to pursue it. Uh, I'll be in healthcare. Whatever ends up happening with you know nursing itself, I'll, uh, I'll be in healthcare definitely. Okay. Sounds like uh, you've, you've uh, you really thought this through. So uh, that it's going to, it's going to be great no matter what, I think if you, if there's that intentionality behind it. Crossing my fingers. I, <laughs> all I know is I am finally, it's been funny watching my YouTube and Twitch numbers, you know, sink over the years. Um, because a lot of people are like, what happened to you, Knox? Like I used to come here and there were thousands of people and now there's like 75. I'm like, well, I just let it slide. And every time the numbers went lower, I just felt freer and freer. My bank account didn't, but I just, I was just, I was, it was soothing. You've lost a thousand subs, you know, on, on YouTube. It's like, good, <laughs> good for them. <laughs> good for them. Good for them uh, so and good for you ultimately, I think. Yeah. Right. And it's, uh, it's just a very, I have a reverse relationship to the grinding <laughs> In, mm -hmm. in, uh, in content creation. Mm -hmm. I, it's probably a very unique position, though, because I've never really heard of anybody else that made it against their um, 
against like their will like, almost like or well, against their really, design intentionality i could have i could have probably like hopped off the ship earlier but i had nowhere to go mm. um yeah, without going too much into details like when i got into streaming i had nothing i was working a coffee shop job um i was with my now wife and you know just years prior i was it's a miracle i wasn't dead in a ditch <laughs> Like that's okay. that's the that's the point. so it gave you some direction, yeah. which was good for for the time, right? It was good enough. It it got it, I could pay the bills. That's all I cared for um, at that moment in time. Now with kids, I I have to think a little bit more about the long term ramifications of uh, working in content creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something that I am I'm actively trying to do in these interviews. Is like avoid problem solving for people like i i've realized that there's actually a weird thing that happens where people will tell me about what they're doing and i'll just try to like give them suggestions and i don't even do this with my wife so i don't even know why i'm doing this on in interviews <laughs> but uh i just want to so just to to re, being re, being cognizant of that i just want to say i'm very happy for you and i think whatever you decide to do i think it's going to be great and I'm really glad that you took the time to uh, to share that with me today. Really appreciate that. Well, it was fun. It was. Uh, I don't even think we talked about magic part of humans of magic, but maybe the humans part is the the bit. No, the humans uh... part is the important part. So don't <laughs> don't you worry about that. Don't you worry. Um, I do have two rapid fire questions. I would sure. feel bad if I didn't ask you, uh, and we just ended it. Number one, knowing everything you know about game design. What would be your favorite game of all time and why? It would be a cooperative online PvE card game. So think uh, dungeon delving with friends, but using cards. So the whole, you know, D&D type experience or even the World of Warcraft dungeon experience with other people cooperatively uh, in an environment where, well, really at the end of the day, it's about the experience itself uh, rather than winning and beating somebody else on the ladder endlessly and climbing that, that imaginary endlessly receding goal. Just... Having a game to play with friends that's cooperative and scratches uh, a lot of the card game slash you know MMO fantasy itches that I I've had for the last twenty years that would be a fun one uh, I think I think under I, I think some something like that might be in the making somewhere I wouldn't be surprised uh, it's like the last niche to conquer somehow. Okay. What if there was a constraint in the question? What if it, what if I asked you to name your favorite game of all time that was a that already exists and is a one player game that doesn't have an online or a community component to it? As far as the marks it left on me, probably I'd have to say Final Fantasy IX. Um, at the time that I played it, like looking back, of course, you know I was but a dumb child in a world of narratives that I had no idea existed beyond FF Nine. Um, but that was probably the game that had the most, like a la it had a lasting impact, um, on me when it comes to world building, 
the willingness, I think, to be weird on the part of game designers because Final Fantasy IX was breaking... I mean, it was part of a really long like tradition that I didn't even know about at the time. Um, but they had weird characters with weird thoughts and weird stories and everything was really weird and sometimes you didn't get closure and that was fine um and it happened all it was it felt like a like a dream that game felt like a dream like you had all these characters that came in you knew a little bit about them not very much you learned a little bit about the humanity behind them let's say if you want to call it that even though they're not even human sometimes and you get a glimpse of a million little things that are all, I think, very meaningful and and, and deep uh, about the human experience. And you don't get closure on much of it. It's just, here's a lot of existential stuff. Deal with it. And FF9 was, if you looked at it as a game for this, like its mechanics and whatnot, it wasn't exactly amazing. Um, but the I think the narrative that was woven in there was wonderful. Yeah. I find your answer so fascinating because FF9 happened to be uh, the last FF I played. Um, and then I played basically one through nine. And I think you're totally right in that it didn't try to explain everything. I think, I think six, seven, eight tried to be very detailed with like the main characters, the protagonists and this world and everything around it. And nine was just kind of, I never really thought of it that way, the way you described it literally right now, but it was like, it was really subscribing to the whole less is more and just kind of teasing you on what it was. And it used like FF tropes, right? Because it had the wizard, it had like certain things that then you could also argue that maybe it didn't need to uh, do all that because it was a rush job. And it it was just like, they kind of assumed there's already a built-in audience, but on its own in a vacuum, I think FF9 was really good at just less is more and tease rather than explain everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's a very good way, right? Like the less is more part of it was was huge for me. And some of my favorite characters come from there because there's so little that's known about them. Um like Queen mm-hmm. Quen is the one that always I come back to. It's like this character that you know nothing about. Like you find them in a swamp and they eat frogs and that's like that's all you know. <laughs> like that's really all you know. Yeah, that's all you need to know, or all you know. You get yeah, glimpses and it's uh, yeah, yeah. It just leaves a lot to to the imagination, which it's I think is probably like a, what games could do best. It's almost like a Charles Dickens novel where like the protagonist isn't really that interesting. It's just kind of like a vehicle for for you to like go through the world. You know, um, like sometimes we don't need to know everything, but um, that's my own rant. So I'll put that aside. Um, last question: Is there a particular person? doing something creative that you're particularly fond of or admire for some reason? Um, assuming we're not talking about simple, like the work ethic and the, you know, the determination of a lot of the people in content creation, uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to, um, to envision. I, I'd say there's, you're talking in what domain specifically? It can Just... be any domain you want. So it could be like, for example, in content, it could be in the movie industry, music industry, it could be a poet. Like I'm trying to make as open-ended as I can. So um yeah, there are there are a couple of artists that I've I don't know, I guess I've been following for a while now that are that are cropping up. Um, but it's I, I'm not so sure that uh 
they, they'll remain unknown for long. But there's uh, Big Joanny, which is uh, a band. Um, it's a it's a it's like it's punk, but some people would probably not recognize it as such. Um, yeah, Big Joanny is a is a it's a punk band from I think it was about ten years ago they started, and I've been listening to their stuff on and off, and it's very dreamy. And I just like the way, like the pace at which they're taking things. Um, sort of, the, they have some. I think they had a breakout success uh, just recently, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with like one of the songs that they made. And it's just been fun watching them go through it slowly. Like music is one of those fields where I think it's it's, it's got to be one of the grindiest <laughs> creative domains at this For point. Sure. If you if you want to live through it, it's because like you can't expect to make it. Like there's just no like I, before streaming there was music, yeah, um, and there's and, touring and all this stuff that goes uh, with it. Yeah, it's a lot. So yeah, I, I'm very um, like they had. I think their first album was a couple of years ago, in 2019, 2018. I'm forgetting the exact date. Um, like they formed eons ago, but I, I've like I heard a little bit, but back like five years ago, four years ago or so, I really delved into. Mm-hmm their stuff and I love it. So yeah, big Joanny. Uh G J J O A N I E. J O A N I E. Yeah, it's big like a name, Joanie. right? It's like a big yeah. Joanie. That's 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 very cool. And uh you know if you don't like streaming, imagine having to play the same bloody song two million times. Um <laughs> that's what it's like to be a traditional in a traditional band. So yeah it's uh it's just fun. What music is probably one of those places where if you want to find raw unmonetized passion like you'll find it there like you'll mm-hmm. you can you can find it plenty of places and uh, you know it comes with talent and trial and error and the growth like you can see that that process is very natural in music like you can see people getting better and sometimes they get better and they still don't have an audience and they don't even try it's just they get better for the sake of it and you don't mm-hmm. see many people doing that mm-hmm. um in content creation, just getting better to get better. Like it just doesn't really happen. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I lied. I have one last question. Uh, (laughs) I did it. Cardinal sin. Um, How did you get your name noxious? Oh, this is so boring. Um, I don't know if it's boring. So the, the aesthetic swamp ooze art from Hearthstone is like green ooze. And it's, uh, I have it in my office hanging. The art was cool. We didn't really know the name of the card. Now, I really liked it from an artist that I really like as well named Chris Ron, which did a lot of magic stuff prior to Hearthstone, which, you know, Hearthstone is just like a tiny blip on his radar. And I had this character that I kept around forever in uh, a name that I used online for a long time. Uh, it was Exogen. E-X-O-G-E-N. Because I just like the letter X, I guess, which is like the most edgelord thing in the world. But I I liked it surrounded by two vowels specifically with the right number of syllables. There's just something about it that worked. And uh, exogenous plants, like some some exogenous plants can be poisonous. And there's this thing that I always loved in games. And I I still don't explain to myself why. I love poison stuff. I just love the weird, toxic, 
you know, either the mad alchemist throwing vials of weird whatever the hell this is, or the witch doctor in, say, Diablo 3 with poison darts and, like, toes raining from the sky. If it's poisonous or... It just, for some reason, the plants that have those properties fascinated me as a kid. Um, and so the term noxious was sort of an extension of that. So the combination of, like, the letter X, seeing the ooze mm. art, and the fact that I like poisonous stuff. That was it. It's been weaponized against me whenever <laughs> I start complaining about stuff. But, you know, I, I deserve it. It's uh, fully deserved. I love that. Everyone has a great story how they come up with their, their handle. Um, all right. So, Noxious, thank you so much for your time. It's been a fantastic conversation, mostly because we didn't talk about Magic the Gathering a lot, but this is the way I like it. So uh, I hope you have a great rest of the, the evening where you are. Yeah, likewise. Have a great life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. To support the show, visit humansofmagic.com, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at humansofmagic, and you can also consider supporting us at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.